Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. begin with a serious question. Uh, I have, I don't believe, I don't believe I've ever met anyone that celebrates Kwanzaa. And apparently Kwanzaa has been celebrated in 1960, in the United States since 1966. And I've researched Kwanzaa and I see a lot of uh, TV stations, radio stations, politicians, all putting out statements, wishing people a Happy Kwanzaa. And uh, it, I know it was created by an activist based on African harvest festival traditions from various parts of West and Southeast Africa. And it's been around for a while. 1.9% of people polled a few years ago said they plan to celebrate Kwanzaa. That's about 6 million people in the United States. Now, that's a fair number of people. And obviously, we have a a large minority population in all of the cities and municipalities that uh, my voice is being heard in. And I'm just curious, one, can you explain to me, and I'm not saying this to be a smart aleck, honestly, this is with a genuine desire to understand. Uh, Can you explain to me what Kwanzaa is? And is there anybody out there that celebrates Kwanzaa? And what do you do? I know that there's a, uh, there's like a, uh, there's seven candles in what they call a canara, symbolizing the seven principles of Kwanzaa. But I'm not asking you to define the holiday as a textbook would. I could tell you what I do on Christmas Eve. I can tell you what I do on Christmas Day. I could tell you what I do on New Year's Eve, what I do on Thanksgiving, and what I do on New Year's Day. Also, uh, any other holiday that you care to ask about. But I'm just curious, are you one of these six million Americans that celebrates Kwanzaa? If so, tell me what Kwanzaa means to you and tell me what uh, what you do on Kwanzaa. I was talking with uh, a friend of mine about this, happens to be black, and he I, I was asking him, do, you know, do you happen to celebrate Kwanzaa? And he said, no, you know, I'll be I never celebrated it. I just celebrate regular Christmas. And he said, I'll be honest with you. I kind of think that it is kind of falling out of fashion. And I can't really say why, because we are always in the danger of living in our little bubble, and groupthink can be a very dangerous thing. But I'm curious if that's the case. Is Kwanzaa kind of falling out of fashion? What is Kwanzaa? Do you celebrate it? And what do you do? Additionally, do you think Kwanzaa is in decline? I would love to hear from you. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. Uh, 
9222. This was a holiday created by an American, uh, Molana Karenga. He created uh, Kwanzaa in the aftermath of the Watts riots as a specifically black holiday. And he said at the time his goal was to give blacks an alternative to the existing holiday of Christmas and give blacks an opportunity to celebrate themselves and their holiday. You know, I also wonder if that's kind of the purpose of it, if that's the history of it. I don't think there's anything wrong with pride in your ethnicity or your origins, whatever they happen to be. But it does seem sort of divisive and exclusionary. And uh, I do wonder if you were to try to do that with uh, another ethnic group, would that be something that was so readily accepted by TV stations? You know, you turn on Channel 2 and it says, we hear the staff at Channel 2, we want to wish you a happy Kwanzaa. You know, I do wonder if you tried that for a Hispanic holiday, right? If that would be greeted the same way. Can you just invent a holiday and have the public adopt it? You know, I don't really know. And uh, these are all questions that I really only think about come the holiday time of year. So if you celebrate Kwanzaa, we are going to bump you to the top of the list. And extra points if you can explain it to me in layman's terms. And just tell me, and I'm not going to grill you on it. I have no interest in debating you, uh, uh, anybody on it. I think people should celebrate whatever holidays they want to celebrate. I'm all for celebrating anything. You know, our boss, John Katsimatidis, says his uh, his favorite thing to do is celebrate every holiday. He's Orthodox. He's Greek Orthodox, but he celebrates Catholic holidays, celebrates Jewish holidays. He just likes celebrating, and I like that too. But what do you do? Like, I, if I was invited to a Kwanzaa feast, I really wouldn't know what to do. Would I be invited or would I be excluded because uh, I happen to be white? I don't know. Uh, these are all questions that I have for you if you celebrate Kwanzaa. 800 848 That's 1-800-848-9222. Now, a story that we have been all over is the curious case of the talented Mr. Santos. By now, uh, let me begin with this, right? And this was my view when the Santos story first broke in the New York Times and when there was another inkling about it in the Jewish newspaper, The Forward, and when there was more about it in The Daily Beast. My view is this. As a voter, you don't have the right to have the candidates that you vote for be honest and pure of heart. As a voter, it's your responsibility to research whatever information you can find about all the candidates you're voting for and vet them thoroughly. I think the uh, the George Santos situation, it was covered. There was a newspaper, Grant Lolly's newspaper on Long Island, did raise concerns about his resume exaggerations. They didn't get into the detail that either the New York Times or the Forward did. Uh, This was also raised by the Cook Political Report. But voters still voted for him. And uh, the sense that I get from a lot of Republicans is that they would still vote for him today, even knowing that he had lied about various aspects of his resume. I think George Santos should be seated. I think if you don't want to vote for him in two years because you didn't know that he lied about his whole past, I think that's fine. But I don't think you get a do-over, right? And I don't want to repeat the same things that I said about Lester Chang's race in in Brooklyn for state assembly. But you cast a vote based on the information that you have. And uh, then that information is what you, you know, what you vote on. I think the... 
Santos story, as I've said repeatedly, and this is the last time I'll say it, it is a damning indictment of local media. If the New York Times had this information prior to the election, why didn't they publish it? Um, if Was this a desire to see Santos get elected knowing he would then be tainted? I don't know. I'm just raising the question. Um, and why did New York, why did Newsday, Long Island Newsday, the local paper on Long Island, not pick up on this? Why did none of the Queen's weeklies pick up on this? Why did none of the other local media outlets that cover politics pick up this? And I think the part of the reason is local newsrooms have been eviscerated in this country. And we are seeing more and more communities become news deserts. And uh, I think that when that happens, you're going to see more and more situations like this George Santos situation come to fruition. Now, I think it's terrible that he that he lied. Uh, I think he will be seated. The question I think he's going to face is a legal one, which is where did he get this money to fund his campaign? If he didn't actually work for the companies that he claimed to work for, if he was not the big shot financial wheeler and dealer, if he was $16,000 in the rears on money that he owed his landlord just a few years ago, where did he get this seven hundred grand from? And wherever he got it from, did he pay taxes on it? Now he's saying that this is from a company that he owned or was a partner in. And if that's the case, um, is that all his money? Because if not, then... He could be facing an issue with an over-the-limit campaign finance contribution. So uh, I don't know, but I am curious what you think. 800-848-9222. That's uh, 1-800-848-9222. Very excited. Uh, in a few minutes, we're going to talk with uh, Brother Greg Cellini. He is uh, the author. Uh, he's a Franciscan brother. And uh, he is the author of a book called Transform Yourself, Transform the World. I always love talking to Brother Greg, uh, one, because he really is a man of God. And I think a lot of us, no matter what your religion, we kind of get caught up in the hustle and bustle of the holiday season, needing to go to this Christmas party and that Christmas party, needing to get gifts for this person and that person. And a lot of times we don't really think about uh, the the reason for the season, as the cliche goes. All right, eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. Let me begin with Jimmy on Staten Island. Jimmy, what can you tell me about Kwanzaa? Uh, the only thing I know about Kwanzaa is that it's uh, made up. It's fake. Uh, it was from a guy in. Uh, well, isn't every holiday a- made up? Absolutely. Well, let's let's deal with Kwanzaa. Okay, we're not doing okay. every holiday. What <laughs> okay. I want to say to you is the Kwanzaa. Uh, the New York Times in uh, 84 said blacks to celebrate African heritage holiday. Uh, it was said that African because, you know, black people in this country wouldn't celebrate it if they knew it was American. Now, this guy who promoted this, he uh, captured, kidnapped and raped so many women. So it was a made up holiday. It's not even a holiday. Most people in Africa don't even celebrate it. So when uh, Nancy Pelosi and all of them tried yeah, to it's an American down and holiday, get up, absolutely. it was a farce. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't I didn't know about the uh, the situation that you just raised, uh, but you're right uh, that uh, the person that uh, that created it, Karanga, he was a um, Black Panther and he was convicted of felony assault, torture and false imprisonment of of women. So uh, I just it makes me curious uh, who's celebrating Kwanzaa. Right. Who Who is celebrating it and what do you do? I've been reading about it. And look, there's seven principles of Kwanzaa. 
they all seem like relatively good things. I'm just curious if anybody actually celebrates it. And if nobody's celebrating it, I'm wondering if we need to still put out all these statements. Now, again, I know six million people are celebrating, but I do wonder if it's on the decline. Um, But I saw so many. I don't watch a lot of television. And yet I still saw such and such TV station wishes you a happy Kwanzaa. It goes, I think, till January 1st. Such and such politician. Happy Kwanzaa. Happy Kwanzaa. And again, I don't like to get into the whole war on Christmas situation, but I really don't think a lot of these same government officials were sending out statements wishing people a Merry Christmas. Uh, But for some reason, I think they think they're scratching some sort of politically correct itch by wishing folks a happy Kwanzaa. Before we continue on the George Santos situation, I have to give credit uh, to John Katz and Matidi's. First of all, he got the first major interview with George Santos. I was just talking about John yesterday on this show. That's the thing with John. He knows everybody. He's got every major newsmaker in the world at his fingertips. And uh, I have to give credit not only to him, but to Anthony Weiner, who sat in with him for the hour. They both did a great job. Here was George Santos issuing a bit of an apology for what he called resume embellishment, which for those of us that actually did graduate from NYU, we just call that lying. Anything else you want to tell uh, all Americans, all New Yorkers? I think it's simple. Uh, I think I thank all of the people who have been reaching out and stuck by me this entire time. In, in these times is when you really know who has your back. And I have had an immense amount of support, and I really want to thank each and every person. And I want to make sure that if I disappointed anyone by resume embellishment, I'm sorry. And I will deliver to you on everything I campaigned on because it's still the same guy Still the same message, still the same priorities. God bless the United States and God bless all of you. And thank you, John, for having me here. Now, I think on the one hand, Santos is doing the right thing in making doing his whole media tour Christmas week, because on Christmas week, usually uh, this is the time to do it. Everybody's away. A lot of people are not focused on the news cycle. So if you can kind of just make it until January 1st when you get sworn in, A lot of this stuff tends to go uh, by the wayside. But, you know, look, I've gotten in trouble for various things over the years, mostly a result of stupidity, not malice or deliberate dishonesty, as was the it seems to be the case with Santos. And, you know, honestly, one of the people that I've turned to over the years is the guy that was sitting in this chair yesterday about uh, and actually I didn't even have to ask his advice. Curtis Lewa would give me unsolicited advice about how to handle this situation. So whenever I was dealing with a public situation where I was embarrassed, Curtis would say, you have to, now maybe it's different these days in the Trump era where people don't apologize for anything, but Curtis would say, you have to throw yourself on the mercy of the court. You have to basically apologize profusely, even if you don't really feel you're wrong. And uh, that's not what Santos is doing. I feel like he's trying to kind of have it both ways, that he's trying to call lying resume enhancement and you know he's apologizing for people that he to people that he disappointed no how about you apologize to everybody for lying even if you don't really feel that way if you want to survive this politically i think you have to say look i um i'm new to politics uh this is the first office that i've run for and uh, i got a little carried away 
they're good apologies over the years, not so good apologies. Jimmy Swaggart, good apologies. Um, a good apology. Elliot Spitzer, not such a good apology. Um, this was uh, George Santos on the Cats at Night program. You were elected to Congress, and, and, uh, and the fact is uh, your opponent should have, uh, uh, if he thought there was something wrong, should have uh, uh, done his homework and said it before the election and not, uh, not after you win. Well, not only that, John, something that I tell everybody constantly is I've always been very proud and I've always made many jokes. I'm the kid who came from a basement apartment in Jackson Heights in in Queens. I was born in abject poverty. My family had various ups and downs. I had my personal ups and downs. I saw through that my mother received her terminal cancer treatment care all the way to the end until she died inside our home. In, in, in hospice home in home hospice care it wasn't easy financially it wasn't easy I was 27 years old you know I was just getting started at like the good part of my career and I was taking care of my very old mother who gave her would have given her life for me so yeah I had financial struggles and difficulties in my life just like everyone else but it's things like the New York Times and the elitist institution of the New York Times that make a front page cover calling me George Santos and his odd jobs. I worked proudly at a call center when I was younger. That's not an odd job. That's a hard earning income blue collar job that elitists at the New York Times look at as an odd job. See, I I think he's taking the exact wrong approach. I I don't think when he look, he was caught in his lies by the New York Times. And it looks like he's essentially admitting to 90 percent of the lies that they caught him in. And instead of owning up to it and saying, sorry, and here's why I lied, he's attacking the New York Times itself because I think he thinks this is going to play well with uh, right-of-center media. You know who I think the the textbook uh, example that he should be f- uh, following on this? And I mentioned this yesterday morning when I was sitting in for uh, Sid Rosenberg. Julia Salazar. Do you know who Julia Salazar is? If you don't. That shows that she handled her scandal effectively. She ran for state Senate. In a, she ran against an incumbent Democrat as sort of the, the socialist candidate, the hard left-wing candidate running against a mainstream Democrat. Now, she was pro-life, and she denied being pro-life, essentially. She claimed that she was Jewish, which apparently is not true. She may or may not have uh, had an affair with Keith Hernandez, which her story kept uh, changing about. It looks like she lied about being sexually assaulted by a regu- by a pretty prominent person. And um, she was just like, basically the same situation as George Santos. She claimed to be a, from a working class background. She wasn't. She was a child of privilege. Almost everything about her background is a lie. And you know what she did when she was nominated? You know what she said? Nothing. Nothing. She didn't attack the media outlets that caught her. She quietly just did her job. She got went to the state senate and kind of, you know, worked in the in the, you know, in the bureaucracy of the state senate. And she's not flashy, but she does her job as a state senator. And that's what I think George Santos has to emulate here. Here he was on Cats at Night. Last question. Um, the $700,000 you put into the election, was that your money? Excellent question. That is the money of that I paid myself through my company, the Volder Organization.
Now, that was a really weird answer. Let me hear that one one more time. Last question. Um, the $700,000 you put into the election, was that your money? Yes. No. That is the money of, that I paid myself through my company, the Volder Organization. See, you had a tough time with that one. So uh, if you – look, I, I, um, I, uh, I bought something yesterday, right, for instance? And if you asked me, was that your money, you know what my answer would be? Yes. Yes. So there are only two answers to that question. Um, is that your money, the money you put into the campaign? Yes or no? That was a very slippery answer. Uh, lastly, i got to give credit for Anthony Weiner because he was trying to pin him down specifically on some of the more outrageous misrepresentations that he's made in the media. That works for me directly? No, but we did have people who were being hired to work for the company at the time who during – I was in Florida during the Pulse nightclub shooting at a – at another uh, nightclub that same evening, not too far away. But, yes, we did lose four people who were going to be coming to work. The whole uh, – I, I don't think the whole – was that the whole clip? Yeah, so I, I don't think the whole clip played there. But Anthony Weiner asked him specifically about comments that he made regarding employees of his being in the Pulse nightclub shooting and being killed. Now, clearly the answer is no. He should have said, I, I, I exaggerated. I, it was not true. Instead, he was trying to be, again, slippery. Look, I think if you're going to do a Jimmy Swaggart, you've got to do a Jimmy Swaggart. You've got to be genuinely repentant. You at least have to sound somewhat contrite. But instead, like, I feel like I'm hearing from a lawyer here. So he is admitting that he never graduated from any colleges. Um, he is saying the check fraud allegation is not true. He is admitting that he stiffed his landlord for $16,000. I still think he should be seated. I think the solution to this is a better media and better informed voters. And I'm curious if you think he did this strategically. Did he make all this stuff up because he thought it would help him? Or did he just get carried away? And honestly, I don't know the answer to that. Because so much of this stuff is easily verifiable, right? I mean, you you have to know. Like George, I've met George Santos, a smart enough guy to talk to, a reasonable guy, right? And um, he has to know that a lie so blatant as graduating from a specific college, anybody can call that college up and see if that's the case. So why would he make up something that is so easily disproven? I'm wondering if he's genuinely pathological or if this was strategic as part of a grand scheme, a grander scheme. Bill Clinton, I understand why he lied, right? He lied because he didn't want to admit to having extramarital affairs. I get that, right? Um, You know, it makes it makes sense. It makes sense. I don't it's not right, but I kind of understand it. I don't understand what the motivation behind this George Santos thing is. Why did he say such incredibly researchable mistruths repeatedly? Repeatedly. 800-848-9222. Let me say hello to Peter in Harlem. Hello, Peter. Yes, uh, Frank, first you should preface your comments by saying he supported Curtis Lewa, I did. perhaps the biggest liar in New York politics. Yeah, but and, the, the uh, different, Peter, is, hang on, Peter. No, yeah, no, Peter, no, I'll, let you make right your comment. I'll let you make your comment. I'll let you make your No, you're wrong. Because oh, you didn't lie? Pe- no, I, let, me, let, me, let me finish what I was going to say. 
Curtis has admitted to no, the city. No, he didn't, because I knew, you know, the real yeah. headlines yeah. told you what happened, yeah. and Giuliani, Jimmy, the statistics. Well, That's what happened. Wait, what but statistics did Giuliani, Jimmy? What, Wait, let me, let See, me Peter, you're doing a very clever thing where well, you, I'm telling you the truth. No, 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 no. You're, you're doing, you're doing a, station. you're doing a drive-by commentary where you throw out an incendiary ad hominem right attack. Room. Not all, you're wrong, and I'm explaining to you why. But Go you're not interested. All right, thank you, Peter. Thank you. So, Peter, if you want to have a conversation, or then I'm all for having a conversation. I'm not for you saying you, you, you manage to, managing to insult both Curtis Lee and me in one sentence, and then rather than let me respond and offer any explanation, you just move on to your next point where you're going to probably insult someone else. Now, Peter, I think you've listened to the show long enough where you know I'm not into, you know, uh, dancing around tough questions. You know how many tough questions I've taken on this show about everything I've ever done? Uh, so I'm not um, uh, averse to tough questions. I'm averse to filibustering and not allowing someone else to talk. 800-848-9222. Let me say hello to um, Diana in Manhattan. Hello, Diana. Hi. As always, I love your show. Thank you. And I think you're a, a really great host. I mean, really great. Anyway, uh, regarding George Santos. Now, the people voted for someone who doesn't exist. You know, I understand I'm a progressive Democrat, and I understand that you want uh, the extra vote, and I totally get that. But you can't trust any. I mean, he on uh, John Casamitidis, he said, well, I, I, I took care of my mother. How do we know that's true? How do we know that's true? Uh, I grew up in a basement apartment in Jackson Heights. That's not, you know, like the black hole of Calcutta, you know? I mean... Uh, how do we know anything he says is true? Well, yeah, and I do think he I think might be right. pathological. Well, so that's what I wonder is what what's this all about? Thank you, Diana. You know, we're going – you know, I, I was uh, going to have George Santos on the show, but he went and did – he went and did media interviews with everybody. So it's like, what's what's the point now? I'm, I'm going to be the 12th person to ask him the same question everybody else has asked him. But I did have an idea just now, Diana, based on what you just said. We've had a fellow on this show, Louis Conti, who is a polygraph examiner. What if we were to invite George Santos here and do a, li- a live polygraph test and have him take a polygraph test to, about all these things that he's now claiming? I am going to make that offer to George Santos, and I have a feeling I'm going to get Louis Conti to sign off on that, and then I'm going to reach out to George Santos and see if he's game for uh, talking about that. All right, uh, Neil is on Staten Island. Hello, Neil. Yeah, Frank, you know, I celebrate Maranza five mornings a week. Very nice, very nice. (laughs) Uh, About Santos, you know, I could understand him being uh, annoyed at the Times because it's not equal scrutiny from the Times. True, what he said was wrong, and he lied. But Biden does it every time he makes a speech. He lies about something, and the Times doesn't call him out on it. And I mean, and, and Biden. Well, the Washington Post does, Biden. though. The Washington Post they gave him the Pinocchios on the uh, on the fact checks that they uh, that they do when he he lied about getting arrested to see um, Nelson Mandela. The Washington Post called him out on that. He lied about uh, the plagiarism scandal in 1988, uh, stealing the plagiarizing the speech from Neil Kinnock. Both the Times and the Washington Post called him out on that. So it's not as if they they don't uh, say what Biden is saying is not true. No, no, no. That, that's, you're right, Frank. But that's, that's like there's always a few that that will that will do that. But uh, 
by and by, I know you hate that expression, ah. uh, when you look at the, the uh, amount who was scrutinizing Santos and the amount who was scrutinizing uh, Biden, there's just there's no, no comparison. Yeah. Santos is local race. It's just a congressional district. Biden's for the whole country. So, yeah, that's a fair I mean, point, they're both, Neil. They're both wrong. Yeah, that's a fair point, Neil. Thank you. I have never really been – I've never really found that kind of explanation satisfactory, though, that uh, an excuse for bad behavior is, well, other people do it too, or you didn't react properly when other people did it. I don't think that that's uh, – I think if we continue down that road, it just results in a lowering and a continuing a, a continuing lowering of the bar, which I don't think is healthy for anybody. Hey, um, we're going to raise the bar by talking with brother Greg Cellini, a genuine Franciscan brother and the author of the book Transform Yourself, Transform the World, a Franciscan view of career. If you're not religious, if you're not Christian – there's still a lot that you're going to learn in just a minute. But if you are and you kind of get caught up in the hullabaloo of Christmas, all the hustle and the bustle, I think you'll get a, a lot out of our discussion as well. Brother Greg Salini joins me straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Head now to Eden, yeah, brother. Head now to Eden. No more trouble in my body. Star Trek fans may remember this. This song is from a Star Trek episode from season three called The Way to Eden. Now, this episode is consistently ranked as one of the worst Star Trek episodes. I have to tell you, I just rewatched it. It's phenomenal. It is absolutely terrific. And those guys that are uh, are singing, especially that one guy um, who just runs around playing his whatever he's playing. Um, Adam is the character. But he just he plays a lyre or a guitar or something, and he just runs around saying, "Yay, brother!" It's phenomenal. It is absolutely great. And I found myself uh, singing that to myself for two days after I rewatched that episode with Carmine. It struck me as uh, an appropriate way to introduce uh, our next guest, a friend of mine, a, a genuine Franciscan brother and the author of the new book, Transform Yourself, Transform the World, A Franciscan View of Career. Very pleased to be joined by my friend, Brother Greg Salini. Brother Greg, it's great to talk mm-hmm. with you. Uh, the honor is all mine, Frank. Blessed morning to you. I hope you had a, a great Christmas. Uh, Greg, for people who haven't heard our previous conversations or may not be up on their Franciscan traditions, what exactly is a Franciscan brother? A Franciscan brother is someone who has vowed to live the life 
in the form and the spirit of St. Francis of Assisi. So we as Franciscan brothers publicly take three vows, poverty, chastity, and obedience. And the listeners might be cringing right now at poverty, chastity, and obedience. But St. Francis intended that these vows not cripple us or restrict us, but actually free us. And I had a 30-year career in pharmaceuticals prior to becoming a Franciscan brother, and I can tell you and the listeners very much, my life today is all about freedom. Oh, oh I, yeah, I want to talk with you about your own career transition. But I've met you uh, a couple of times, and you are dressed what what people may recognize as attire very similar to Friar Tuck from the Robin Hood stories. What, was Friar Tuck a Franciscan brother? Is that why you have similar garb to him? Well, indeed, it goes literally back to St. Francis. And we do wear the robe, the holy robe of St. Francis, a very simple. Uh, we do have a cord, if you will, that ties together uh, the robe. And that cord has the three knots, the three knots standing for the poverty chastity and obedience. Now, we as Franciscan Brothers of Brooklyn, we also on the left side will wear a rosary. Our Holy Mother Mary is the advocate. Francis loved Mary so much, not only Jesus so much and Joseph, but Mary in particular. And the rosary uh, we put on the left side because she is the advocate, if you will, of Franciscan orders around the world. This may sound like a, a silly question, but I, I know it's one that a lot of listeners are going to be asking and have probably asked when they've heard the term brother applied to a clergyman before. I think a lot of people can understand being moved by God and moved by the Holy Spirit and wanting to devote your life to, uh, you know, to holy endeavors. What is the difference between being a brother and being a priest? And why would one choose uh, to be a brother instead of being a priest? These are all great questions, Frank. Thanks so much. A brother differs from a priest in that We'll start with the priest. Many people know a diocesan priest, let's say belonging to the Archdiocese of New York. They would be sacramental in nature. So one goes to Mass, it's celebrated by a priest, a funeral Mass, a baptism, an anointing of the sick, confirmation. All things of this nature, sacraments of the Church, this is the primary priest duty. Whereas the brother, uh, I cannot say mass. I cannot uh, give last rites to someone. Our life, for the most part, is what we would say is apostolic. So we go out and we do things. My ministry is in St. Francis College in uh, downtown Brooklyn. I'm a part of the Office of Mission, Ministry, Interfaith Dialogue. So not sacramental at all, which the priest is, but we really are more apostolic out there in the world uh, doing good, if you will. What does a Franciscan brother, at least the one that I'm talking to, do on Christmas, for instance? Well, it was a very, very special Christmas because annually we actually do a Franciscan Christmas Eve special at my alma mater, WSOU, Seton Hall University Pirate Radio. So we did that on Christmas Eve. And then I had a quiet Christmas. I was supposed to get together with family in New Jersey 
Uh, that didn't totally work out. We're going to do that later this week. So I came and spent Christmas with a couple of the brothers here. And then uh, tonight, actually, Tuesday, uh, we will have here our uh, wonderful Christmas dinner together. Because a lot of the brothers actually have family, friends that they might spend the day with. So uh, for me, it was a quiet day. Normally, it would be back in Jersey with my four wonderful siblings. But sometimes things don't always work out as planned. Uh, tell me about this book, Transform Yourself, Transform the World, A Franciscan View of Career. What inspired you to write this book? What, what are you hoping to achieve and accomplish with it? The inspiration, Frank, was really that when I transitioned after a 30-year career in pharmaceuticals, I was working at St. Francis College in the Career Center. And one of the things I learned from pharmaceuticals is that it's always wonderful to benchmark, to look beyond the walls, to see what some of the best practices are out there. So when I started to take a look at what the Franciscan view of career was from a best practice standpoint, I literally Googled Franciscan view of career. There was nothing there. There wasn't even an article on this. And I said how strange this is because St. Francis of Assisi, more books have been written about Francis and Franciscan than any person literally other than Jesus himself who've walked this earth. So I said this is very, very strange. But I said there's definitely a Franciscan view of career. And when I was – and I talk about this in the book in the corporate world – It was all about me, all about success and prestige and money and promotions and titles. And what I came to see is that the Franciscan view of career is much less about personal success, much more about contribution, much more about knowing who you are and utilizing those gifts really to transform yourself and then transform the world. So this view of career is countercultural, if you will, to the quote-unquote normal 21st century view of career that I had when spending all those years in the corporate world, and I believe that many, many others do have as well. Was your decision to leave the world of pharmaceuticals and uh, enter the brotherhood, was that an instant decision that you decided to pursue, or was it something that you took the time to think about, to pray about, and that took uh, days or weeks before you came to a final decision about it? There was definitely a period of discernment, but like anything else, it was a process, if you will. And I celebrated my 25th anniversary there with the company in 2002. And shortly thereafter, I was getting these rumblings inside, and that was the first time in my life I realized there is an interior life that I needed to pay attention to. And what was sweet in the corporate world, maybe nice trips to Switzerland or other places to do business, all of a sudden weren't as sweet. But what I was really enjoying was being part of the church, volunteering. Uh, 2004, I made a pilgrimage with some Uh, differently abled pilgrims to help them to Canada. And that was really instrumental because I enjoyed that. Uh, It was very, very much a a fabulous experience. And I could sense that something was going on inside. There was a rumbling inside. And as someone said to me in 2005, Greg, in the corporate world here, you're just not getting enough nourishment. But yes, there was a great period of discernment. 
I, on Tuesday nights, made sure I went to the holy hour at a local parish, which was really an hour just to sit with Jesus, talk to Jesus, but more importantly, listen to Jesus. You know, what do you want from me? I was living alone at the time, and I got a sense that God wanted me to love differently, but also to live differently. And I've been blessed since becoming a Franciscan brother. For example, I live with five other wonderful brothers, and the joys of community life with five other people are joy that I've never had before in my life, except when I was living with my siblings and late parents uh, you know, back in Clifton. How closely had you file, followed the uh, teachings and the uh, life of St. Francis of Assisi prior to your decision to uh, become a member of the Brotherhood? I tried my best to live a life of simplicity, a life of humility. But one of the challenges I found, and this is only me speaking, when you're in the corporate world, many times there's a certain persona that you need to put on. You need to put on an air of confidence. You need to put on an air that I can do anything. You need to put on certain masks. And what I found that after all those years, I was not content. I don't want to say I was living a lie, but I wasn't truly living my best self. I didn't even have an awareness of who my best self was. So by becoming a Franciscan brother, I was, again, I was freed to live who I am, who I truly am, my deepest core values, my strengths, my personality. All of these things, being now a Franciscan brother of Brooklyn, is truly who I am. And I'm able to live this every day. People say to me, Greg, gee, you seem so much more content, so much more alive. Well, that's because I'm living the Christ inside of me every day. And I don't have to be ashamed of it. I don't have to apologize about it to anybody. Irrespective of anyone's religion, I think there's some great guidance in this book for how people can make uh, decisions about what they want to pursue in terms of their own career and in terms of their own lives. And one of the parts of this book that you uh, spend some time focusing on is getting people to ask themselves the question, who are you, and evaluating their own personality type. If people are considering a career transition or a transition in some other aspect of life, could be a transition when it comes to a relationship or a different uh, way that they want to spend their free time, how would you encourage them to pursue evaluating their own personality? I think there's a couple of things, Frank, that are very, very important here. Uh, The first is really core values. What are those three, four, five things that are really important? And then what is your life purpose? Why are you here? Mark Twain said the two most important days in your life, the day you're born, the day you find out why. And then, of course, personality type, as you say. Uh, To go in, more people will think of it as Myers-Briggs to get those four letters and find Mm -hmm. out, yes, what are those, what is your personality type? Uh, And then finally, also, what are your strengths? What are you really, what are you really good at? Uh, What are those God-given strengths that you have? Because for 30 years in the corporate world, I was trying to improve on my weaknesses instead of live from my strengths. But yes, things like personality, strengths, values, life purpose, all of these elements, if you will, of who we are, are critical. 
And this is one of the things that are happening today. Unfortunately, there's a lot of people graduating even college, and they're not self-aware. The radio show that I host, thank God, for Monday, I have guests on all the time. They say college students, sadly, are not self-aware, and the ones that are gain tremendous competitive advantage. So I encourage, and that's another reason that I really love this book, and I believe it will be helpful to high school, uh, late high school and college students, is that it helps them become more self-aware. They can answer best the question, who are you? Tell me a little bit about yourself in an interview. If people are just tuning in, we're talking with Brother Greg Cellini. Uh, he's written the book, Transform Yourself, Transform the World, A Franciscan View of Career. How does someone know whether it's time to make a transition? Let's say they're working and uh, they have a couple of bad days at work and they're not sure if uh, it's time for them to change careers. Obviously, there's a lot of real world uh, realities that they have to deal with when it comes to paying the bills and things like that. How does someone know when it's time? Thanks for asking that, Frank, because in the book, I have a whole section on that. How do we know when the relationship has gone sour enough that it is time to really think about moving on and taking those steps? Well, I would answer that is that you have these feelings of discouragement. Uh, You have the feelings of a loss of hope that you really come to a point in that role that many more days than not, you come home exhausted, Uh, you come home and say, gee, this really isn't for me. So again, it's paying attention to the interior life. Many times what people can do is they can look inside themselves and say, okay, what is it that I'm not getting here in this relationship? And work is definitely a relationship. The relationship is one with employer, with boss, with colleagues. So you may get to that point many more days than not and say, you know, I just can't do this anymore. But I would encourage people before they get to that point, okay, what am I not getting from the work here? Can I grow in this current job, maybe get involved with a project or two? Uh, Can I look for another position within the organization? And many times the human resources organization is helpful to go to them confidential and say, you know, I'm really, really a bit stuck here. Can you give me some advice? Or maybe there's another role that I'm better suited for here, et cetera, et cetera. So I don't suggest people just, you know, jump to another organization immediately, but really think about that, analyze, what am I getting? What am I not getting? And then move from there. I don't know if that's helpful to you and the listeners from the question you just asked. Oh, no, I I think it certainly is. If people are interested in, in checking out this book, what's the best way for them to get it? Thank you, Frank, for that. It is um, blessed that Tal Publishing out of Phoenix published this. So simply uh, com. And, Brother Greg, it is the uh, Christmas season. A lot of folks listening of varying denominations, but I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you to offer some sort of a prayer for uh, those of us that, uh, I don't know, might be struggling at times to remember the, the reason for the season. Thank you so much again, Frank. And one of the things about St. Francis, he indeed is the saint for all, uh, not just Catholic Christians, but for all. And he wrote this beautiful, beautiful prayer of St. Francis for discernment 
because like us, he had a lot of difficult decisions to make. And I think 2023, uh, we're going to have some more difficult decisions, exciting decisions to make. So we simply say, most high, glorious God, enlighten the darkness of my heart. During especially this Christmas season, give me true faith, certain hope, and perfect charity, sense and knowledge, Lord, that I may carry out your holy and true command. Amen. Uh, Amen. Uh, Brother Greg, it's always a treat to talk with you. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Right, the same to you and the listeners. The honor is always mine. Take care and God bless. Thank you. 800-848-9222. If you want to comment on any portion of our discussion, this is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Boy, uh, that uh, certainly applies to the weather this week. It also applies to uh, a lot of the mistruths coming out of the mouths of politicians. And um, we want to wish a happy 77th birthday to Mick Jones of Foreigner, who is celebrating his birthday birthday today. So uh, for all those reasons, we wanted to play a little Farner because uh, clearly uh, that uh, song has a lot of meaning today. All right. Hey, you know, it's funny. We're still analyzing these uh, these documents that came out about uh, the John F. Kennedy assassination. And, you know, I've been all over this and I, we have another interview set up for, I think, tomorrow on this. Uh, there's a lot going on on this, right? And it's a story that I'm interested in because I think we've barely scratched the surface on this. So I got a a text message from a, um, I don't know how to describe this person without giving his identity away. He is a very, very prominent academic and historian, okay, who I've had on the show before, but not recently. And he said um, on December 20th, week ago, exactly. Have you done a segment on the JFK files yet? I said, yes, I'm up for another, though. His response, Joe Biden and Donald Trump are guilty of high treason. And I said, let's talk tomorrow and confirm a day for next week. Cool. I reach out to him. I say, such and such. Would you want to do something tonight at uh, 2.30? Alternatively, would you want to do Monday night into Tuesday morning at 1.30? A.M. He says Tuesday at one thirty, but let's discuss before we go on a bit. My response: Sound good? Sounds good. This is what he writes me yesterday afternoon. Hey man, hope you and your family had a merry Christmas. Been thinking over the JFK stuff and having second thoughts about going on air about it. Might sound crazy, but 
This is what he says to me. And this I, I can't stress to you, this guy is an Ivy League educated professor, academic. He's on TV all the time. He's very well respected. He says, might sound crazy, but it feels too dangerous for me in this climate to speak the truth. I'm sure you understand. Isn't that interesting that still this many years after the assassination of John F. Kennedy, you have people that believe they know the truth still afraid to say it? I think that's pretty frightening. Uh, In the words of the great Bob Barker, help control the pet population. Make sure you get your dog or cat spayed or neutered. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. A little bit later in the show, I'm going to be continuing an annual tradition of highlighting stories that I think are the least covered of the year. Meaning you may have heard about them, you might not have, but I think they could they could benefit from a little bit more news coverage. One story over the holiday break. See, the holiday break is tricky because everyone, as I was saying with the Santos discussion last hour, everyone gets so involved into taking off. A lot of the reporters are taking off. Sometimes there are just stories that you miss. And there's one story that I want to talk about that occurred over the holiday break. West Point, over its holiday break, West Point, which, of course, is the academic institution that gives us so many terrific officers that then later serve in the leadership of the U.S. Army. West Point, over its holiday break, is removing a portrait of Robert E. Lee in Confederate uniform as well as a bust of the general from prominent spots on campus. This is carrying out uh, directives that were included in a defense authorization bill for 2021. Can we talk about that, by the way? These defense authorization bills are supposed to be about funding the military, not about making decisions about what pieces of art should be at different colleges. Okay, so... The uh, Lieutenant General Stephen Gilland announced these steps and more in a letter to the West Point community that was posted on their website. Quote, during the holiday break, we will begin a multi-phased process in accordance with Department of Defense directives to remove, rename or modify assets and real property at the U.S. Military Academy and West Point installation that commemorate or memorialize the Confederacy or those who voluntarily served with the Confederacy. Statues of Robert E. Lee, who was, of course, the general who led the South in the Civil War, have been at the forefront of this. When they conceived this initiative at West Point, this is what they had in mind, removing the uh, Robert E. Lee. At the end of 2020, you remember a statue of Robert E. Lee was removed from the U.S. Capitol at the request of Virginia state leaders. The Lee portrait will be removed from the Military Academy's library and placed in storage at West Point's museum. Separately, a portrait of General Ulysses S. Grant who led Union troops against Lee in the Civil War, will be moved from the library to Grant Hall. A stone bust of Lee at Reconciliation Plaza will also be removed and placed in storage 
while an accompanying bust of Grant will be moved to the front of Grant Hall. Um, You know, I am obviously, uh, I think I'm a pretty liberal guy, especially when it comes to racial issues and things of that nature. Robert E. Lee, I think, has, you know what? I am not going to make this argument myself. I spoke with uh, former governor of New York, David Patterson, about two years ago. Governor Patterson, you may remember, was the first black governor of New York. And I was talking to him during all these statue protests, all the movements to take down statues of Christopher Columbus and others and people trying to rip down these statues on their own. I want you to listen. Now, I didn't ask about Robert E. Lee. I asked him about Christopher Columbus. And I want you to listen to my question. And specifically, I want you to listen to Governor Patterson, the first black governor's response to my question. What is your view in terms of what we're seeing around the country about these statues that are not just being taken down in a civil manner by the democratically elected government in these places, but they're being beheaded, they're being shoved into the ocean, they're being vandalized, they're being destroyed just by an angry mob? I mean, irrespective of what you might feel about, say, uh, uh, you know, Robert E. Lee or uh, Christopher Columbus— can we agree that uh, these statues shouldn't be removed by an angry mob in such a manner? You know, Frank, what I feel is that Christopher Columbus definitely had his faults, and they were more than faults. They were character deficiencies. But it's not Christopher Columbus the man, but Christopher Columbus the symbol of coming to America that I think that we look to. Uh, with Robert E. Lee, Robert E. Lee was opposed to slaves, uh, to slavery, uh, preached against it, uh, told the Southerners he thought they should set the slaves free, fought with the South because he was from Virginia. He was loyal. He fought with his his state, uh, which uh, fought against the Union. When he lost, he was one of the real, uh, you know, mediators between the North and the South as we tried to get back on the same page and told the Southerners to accept that slavery was over. So I don't think he really deserves to have his statue taken down. I completely agree with Governor Patterson there. Now, the uh, I'm not in any way minimizing all the lives that were lost in what they now call the lost cause of the, of the South and all the Americans that were killed at, at Robert E. Lee's direction in part. But I don't think you can underestimate what Governor Patterson is saying there. Robert E. Lee was not this big pro-slavery figure. He fought with the South because that's where he lived and that's where he was from. And at West Point specifically, he had served as the superintendent at West Point. And additionally, one of the great challenges for Lincoln, briefly, unfortunately, for Ulysses S. Grant, for James Garfield, briefly, unfortunately, And even for Andrew Johnson, for all his faults, one of the great challenges that all those Reconstruction-era presidents and Rutherford B. Hayes, especially if you consider the manner in which Rutherford B. Hayes became president, one of the great challenges all those presidents faced, Lincoln, Johnson, Grant, Hayes, Garfield, was how to put Humpty Dumpty back together again. This country was as divided as can be. 
Americans didn't view one another as Americans. They viewed one another as enemies. Enemies. You think it's bad now in terms of polarization? You should have spent some time in this country in 1866. One of the leading figures in getting the South to accept unification was Robert E. Lee. And I don't think it's right. And I, I look, West Point is just doing what was in the legislation. So my beef is not with West Point. It's with Congress. But I don't think it's right for West Point to take down these Robert E. Lee portraits. And look, I am uh, as racially uh, progressive as can be, right? But I think by doing this, by going back and relitigating the battles of 1865, we're actually taking a giant step back in terms of racial harmony in this country. I don't think there's anything wrong with recognizing Robert E. Lee's brilliance as a military leader. You know, up until two years ago, there was a plaque for Robert E. Lee in Brooklyn, in Brooklyn. Uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with recognizing Robert E. Lee's brilliance as a military leader, the skillful way in which he led West Point, and yes, recognizing the importance, the important role that he played in this country in getting the South reunified with the North and the United States as a whole. Robert E. Lee, for all his faults, and there are many, namely the fact that he fought with the Confederacy, I think Robert Robert E. Lee's prominence as a Southern figure and the sort of the classy way in which he handled the surrender to Grant at Appomattox is something that I don't think we should be trying to erase. I've used this example so many times that it, it, it has become boring. But you know where they used to take down statues and photos of people? The Soviet Union. The Soviet Union. Whenever new leadership of the Soviet Politburo would come into power, the first thing they would do is erase history. They would take people's names literally out of the history book, and they would essentially erase people's portraits and erase people's photos from history. You know where they don't do that? In Italy. I was really struck by this when I was in Italy three years ago. And wherever you go, and I was in northern Italy, southern Italy, but especially in Rome, In Rome, you can see not hundreds of years of history like we have here in the United States. You can see thousands of years of history, thousands of years of history. And what you see is fascinating. You see monuments that were built in the era of the Roman Empire under paganism. Then you see monuments that were built in the era of the Roman Empire under Christianity. Then you see all sorts of uh, different monuments all over Italy that these different municipalities had when they were independent states at war with one another. And then you see different symbols and different plaques and different artwork and different um, honorific commemorations from the early days of the Italian Republic. And then, yes, under fascism, you see monuments to soldiers that died fighting for fascism with Mussolini and Hitler against the United States. And those, and you see them prominently displayed in Rome. And you know what they all have in common? None of those statues, none of that artwork, none of those monuments were ever taken down. And what 
tourists like me or people that live there and academics, what we do is learn from them. We use that as an opportunity to learn. And I think if people see a bust of Robert E. Lee, that might cause them to look into Robert E. Lee's life and career, the good, the bad, the ugly, his time at West Point, his time fighting for the Confederacy, and his time, um, you know, telling the South not to keep fighting this lost cause. I totally understand why people may disagree, but that's my view on it. Uh, Again, it's a moot point because it's done. Congress has passed this. It's happening. I think it's unwise, and I think it's a shame, quite frankly. And again, I don't want to come across as this um, lover of, of... you know, the Confederacy, I, I'm not at all. But I think that um, to simplify, to oversimplify Robert E. Lee as one of history's villains and one of American history's villains, I think is a gross oversimplification. I think it's so much of an oversimplification that it's it's inaccurate, honestly. And it creates a misimpression about American history. I would love to hear from you, though, if you agree, if you disagree. That's 800-848-9222. In general, my philosophy is not tearing down monuments, not tearing down statues. My, uh, if you want to add an additional plaque to something, even if you want to do that on a Columbus statue to describe uh, some additional context to why that monument end up, uh, those monuments end up where they are, I'm okay with that. Including, you want to put some negative things on that plaque? Sure. Great. I am for using these as tools for learning, not for tearing them down. What do you think? 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. David is in the Broogie Down Bronx. Hello, David. Yes. Good morning. Good morning. I hope you had a nice Christmas. uh, Yes. Yes, I actually did, except for the food poisoning that came afterwards. But... um, yeah, don't go to Chinese restaurants in Flushing on Christmas. But anyway. <laughs> Duly noted. Um, uh, to get back to Robert E. Lee, I, I think that you're missing something here. And you mentioned Italy and the statues that date back to the Mussolini days. Now, Germany took a totally different tact. You're not going to find statues of Adolf Hitler anywhere in Germany. And there's a reason for that, because it's a history there that would be offensive to a lot of people. And this goes to the Confederate issue with African-Americans in particular, like myself. Robert E. Lee took up arms against the United States. He actually did own slaves, by the way. So I don't know where this anti-slavery stuff comes from. And, you know, yeah, he was conciliatory after, but that's because they were defeated soundly by the Union, which he knew was going to happen. There was no chance the South was going to win the Civil War. So he literally wasted the lives of hundreds of thousands of Americans. For what? To preserve slavery? Because that's what it was really about. They say it was about states' rights, but it was really about slavery because that was the state right that they were fighting about. And I don't think – I don't think – he should be on display at a military academy. Listen, if you want to put him in a museum somewhere or a library, that's fine. If we were teaching history properly in this country, I would be all for it, but we're not. Well, I, I, can't, I can't argue with that, David. I can't argue with that. What, what were you going to say about Woodrow? Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, Woodrow go Wilson, ahead. please? Sure. Because I was taught in high school he was one of our greatest presidents. 
You know, he got us into right. World War One, and he tried to start the League of Nations. Woodrow Wilson was, and he was also a leader of Princeton. But Woodrow Wilson was a segregationist and a racist who reestablished segregation in the federal government. Nobody knows that because we do a terrible job of teaching history in this country. Uh, David, you're not going to get you're not going to get an argument from me that we need to ramp up our history education. I completely agree with you on that front and I see where you're coming from on the uh, on the Robert E Lee situation. Now, um Lincoln as you know, he also asked Robert E Lee to lead the Union troops during the Civil War. Now, had that occurred, Robert E. Lee still would have been in his past as a slaveholder. But if he had fought for the Union instead of the Confederacy, if all else was the same uh, and the Union won just as they did, would you be okay with that Robert E. Lee uh, um, bust staying up at West Point? I don't think it should be prominently displayed at the head of of where it was. But yes, because if he did not take up arms against the United States Mm. and he renounced the Confederacy, I don't think it's as bad. You, you make a very strong case, David. Uh, I don't know. You know, look, I, I could see exactly I could see exactly why you, you say that. I, I, I can't really I can't really I don't have much of an argument for you, quite frankly. I think you've bested me on this one. 800-848-9222. Billy is in the Queens. Hello, Billy. Frank, why don't you put yourself in the place of a black person? How would you like to go to school named after Mussolini? How would you like your wife is Jewish, right? To drop her kids off at Adolf Hitler High School. I mean, put yourself in that place. So you equate uh, Robert E. Lee with Adolf Hitler? He fought for slavery. Listen, you were not in the U.S. military. I was. All right. Well, thanks for ago. your service. Um, but I think hey, that... Let me tell you something. I would not be alive today. I was an aircraft carrier. My Italian friends from Brooklyn, because every southern redneck wanted to beat the crap out of the skinny Irish kid. Forty years ago, they were still pissed off about the Civil War. Those people are disgusting. Tear down that statue. Why do you need it up? Why does an Italian well, guy like because, you need that? Cr- well, no, because I don't view myself as an Italian. I view myself as an American. But uh, oh, the, no, yeah, well, okay, yeah, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, Well, I don't know what, what that uh, uh, is supposed to mean, Billy. But uh, but uh-huh. Billy, what I was going to say is, I I think by taking down the statue or the uh, the bust and the artwork, it really does ignore the important post Civil War work that Robert E. Lee did in getting the South to accept that we were the United States of America again. Had he chosen to take a more divisive role and continue to foment Southern angers, which, as you pointed out, almost a century later were still very, very apparent in the South, then I think it would have been much more difficult to put this country back together again. Don't you think he deserves some credit for that? No. Why is it so important you have a statue of Robert E. Lee up there? Well, Why is it so because... important you? It inflames half a, a population of this country, especially black people. Well, I just played and, you the that... audio from Governor Patterson, the Why first black— Why do you black... have it up? Why do you have to have it Billy, up? Why? Well, because I just explained. His role in putting the country oh. back together again was essential. And as you heard from David Patterson, first black governor of New York State, I think he made a very strong case— for why we shouldn't be taking these Lee statues down. So, I mean, take it up with uh, the first black governor of New York State. You know, I, I, you're not going to call Governor Patterson a racist. Uh, yeah, I am going to call him. He's a freaking Uncle Tom because let me tell you Very something. classy, Billy. Very classy. The amount of uh, discrimination that Governor Patterson, and I know he listens to the show. He's welcome to call in. The amount of discrimination that Robert E. Lee, uh, excuse me, that Governor Patterson has faced for being both black and blind is disgusting. 
And for you to minimize that in your very classless way, quite frankly, is uh, so incredibly insulting and offensive that I think it says a lot about you that you would characterize him as an Uncle Tom rather than respond to the specific things that he was saying. You know, David in the Bronx, who was on the, right before you, he disagreed with me. And you know what he did? He didn't feel the need to attack me and attack Governor Patterson and prove to me what a tough guy he is because of all the, the rednecks that he stood up to that were still fighting the Civil War. He went through a point-by-point refutation of everything that I said. Now, I think you'd be a much happier person, quite frankly, Billy, if I could get into your own psychology, if you were to take a page from David's book. You don't have to attack someone personally. You can disagree and explain why you disagree. These folks, and I feel this way about people that do this on radio or people that do this on social media, These people that engage in these ad hominem attacks, I have almost, I I have very little tolerance or respect for anybody that does that kind of a thing. 800-848-9222 if you want to comment. That's 800-848-9222. I know Robert in Suffolk's been holding a while. Let me give him an opportunity to be heard. Hello, Robert. Hi, Frank. I heard the interview live this well, we'll call it this afternoon, earlier. You're and, talking about the interview with uh, George Santos? Yes. Mm-hmm. And uh, my impression of him is that he's really not being truthful. And it makes me, and I heard others too from the interview, that they're calling into question whether or not he might even be a citizen. And if he's not... That is a big problem. Well, obviously, I really uh, obviously, I mean, that. so far we haven't seen any evidence of that. People have raised that question, but I think what you're saying, and thanks for the call, Robert, is largely a reflection of how little credibility George Santos has right now. Nobody believes what he says about anything. The fact that he, as an openly gay man, needs to spend time saying, yes, yes, I'm really gay tells you how little credibility the guy has right now. All right, 800-848-9222. We'll continue with your calls in just a moment. Uh, that is 1-800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. We are going to go through the mail in a little bit. So if you have mail that you want to um, share, you can email me, frank.morano at wabcradio.com. That's frank.morano at wabcradio.com. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano.
This song is uh, is called Hideaway. I've always liked this song. I guess it's about, you know, I don't know, seven, eight years old, maybe a little more. And um, it's by an artist that nobody knows how to pronounce her name. I think it's Kaiza and uh, a resident music aficionado, Alex Barnard, who's doing a great job uh, today, by the way, not only producing the program, but uh, sitting in for Matt Blaze, uh, thinks his best guess is that it's Kaiza. This is the only one of her songs that I'm really familiar with. It's a great song, but it's an even better music video. It is a wonderful music video. It's one of these music videos, and there's been a few videos like this over the years that's totally just one shot. It's really incredibly well done. If I can uh, bring myself to stop watching the hippies in that Star Trek episode uh, continue to sing, Yay, brother, then I will share. Yeah, okay. I'm going to share a link to it on my Facebook page. If you haven't seen it, it's really um, even if you don't like the music, it's a masterful piece of filmmaking. I don't think Kaiza is considered a uh, one-hit wonder, but she's someone that uh, I, I, I couldn't name another one of her songs. That's certainly her biggest hit. All right. Uh, 800-848-9222. We're going to get back to your calls in just a minute. I do want to encourage you, if you have not already done so, please subscribe to the Racket Report podcast. If you're not familiar with this, this is a podcast that I anchor in which we delve into the world of organized crime issues. Now, I want to assure you, if you have not yet heard this, this is not a glamorization or a glorification of mafia figures at all. We speak with cops, prosecutors, judges, journalists, uh, and yes, mobsters, family members of mobsters, victims of mobsters. It really, I, I mean, at the risk of sounding self-serving, I think this is some of the greatest crime-related journalism in the country today. And I, I realize that's absurd to say uh, of what we're doing, but I think it's true. Uh, my guest on this week's edition of The Racket Report is a- Anthony Ruggiano. Anthony Ruggiano was a Gambino crime family associate. And his father was Fat Andy Ruggiani, Ruggiano, a, a, a member, a hitman for the Gambino crime family. And we had a wide-ranging interview. And I, I don't think I asked him. I think I challenged him appropriately, although politely. I'm polite with everybody about his role as a cooperator, why he became a cooperator, what message that sends to the public. This was one of the most interesting things that he said. These mafia trials, and I've covered a good many of them. So over the years, we have seen so many high-profile mafia figures get acquitted. Not guilty, not guilty, not guilty, including... Trials that Ruggiano himself has testified in. So we've seen it with John Gotti Jr. We've seen it with for, with uh, Tommy Gioli, who we've seen it with um, Joel Case. We've seen it with uh, Francis B.F. Guerra. We've seen it with um, uh, Vincent Asaro. We've seen it with so many different figures over the last few years. So this is a guy who claims to have witnessed all these crimes, testified to these crimes, and jury after jury has said not guilty. So I asked him the question, why is that the case? 
these mafia trials, and I've covered a good many of them uh, in person and, you know, as a commentator, it used to be an acquittal was unheard of. But now we saw an acquittal in the Vincent Asaro case. We saw an acquittal and a hung jury in the John Gotti Jr. case. We saw Joe Waverly, Joel Cacase acquitted. We saw an acquittal in the case of Francis B.F. Guerra. We saw an acquittal in the case of Tommy Gioli. We saw an acquittal in the case of uh, Romanello. What do you think it says about where juries are these days, particularly in the New York area, that these cases, which used to be automatic convictions, we're just seeing acquittal, 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 acquittal? Right. You know, it's amazing because, you know, almost every one of those names you mentioned was absolutely 100 percent guilty of the crimes they were charged with and they walked out of the courtroom. Um I think it has to do a lot with the with the with the ethnicity of the people now that live in New York. I think a lot of the people are anti-government, anti-law enforcement, um, and it's a lot to do with Hollywood, with pictures of glorifying the mob, and uh, um, and it just blows my mind. It blew my mind that Vinny got found not guilty. I mean, I know for a fact Vinny was guilty of everything they charged him with. I mean, I I, I my father literally sold the jewelry from the Lutunzas heist. I mean, Vinny and Jimmy Burke brought my father the jewelry from Lutunza, and my father fenced it. And, you know, and Vinny got found out guilty. I think it's a lot to do with, with the ethnicity of the people in New York City it's, um, and, and, and the anti-law enforcement. I mean, you see what's going on today. The, literally, the, the law enforcement are, are the enemy. Now, that was a pretty interesting admission of Anthony Ruggiano's own thinking. I mean, to me, what that sounds like, and you can listen to the full podcast and judge for yourself, but to me, what he's what he's saying is, well, there's a lot of black people and a lot of minorities that live in New York City, and they don't trust the cops, so they're just going to quit everybody. Now, this is someone that the FBI and the U.S. Attorney's Office have put up to testify in criminal cases four times, and he's saying, well, these minorities are just acquitting all these people. Because they don't trust the government. It is a fascinating discussion. And I hope you listen to it. You can uh, check it out at WABCradio.com or uh, just go on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you like, and just search The Racket Report. Please hit the subscribe button because uh, there's uh, all sorts of new episodes coming out. They've been busting my chops about doing more new episodes about this. And initially I was a little upset because, uh, look, I'm doing – minimum 20 hours a week of live radio. No one else is doing that. Plus filling in for this person and that person. Don't bust my chops about a podcast. I'll do it when I can. And I have to say, sometimes you do your best, to paraphrase Chili Palmer in the movie Get Shorty, sometimes you do your best work with a gun to your head because the podcasts that we have in the pipeline here are some of the greatest that we've ever done. So you can hear those by subscribing to the Racket Report. All right, 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Talking about Robert E. Lee, some people talking about George Santos. You can comment on whatever you want, quite frankly. Uh, We're, you know, open forum today. Next hour, uh, we're going to talk with Lenore Skenazy. Well, it's not exactly true. I spoke with her when I was filling in for Sid Rosenberg yesterday, but 
uh, we have a lot of listeners around the country that might not have heard it. We have a lot of listeners that routinely listen at this time of the day that might not have heard it. It was a really great discussion. So uh, I thought it might be fun to listen back to it. If you didn't get to hear it, I, uh, I think you'll enjoy it. If you did hear it, well, listen again. What else do you have to do right now? Douglas is in New Jersey. Hello, Douglas. Hi, sir. Uh, I just wanted to chime in on uh, Robert E. Lee. Uh, myself, I am a uh, veteran of uh, the United States Army. I did three years. I was with uh, 3rd Street Division, 2nd Brigade, 164 uh, Armor as a uh, tank driver. Wow, terrific. And Thanks for your my, service. No problem. Uh, it's funny that, uh, you know, I was in the Army because both my grandfather and my grandfather's brother, who you may know of, uh, are you familiar with the Brooklyn Dodgers? Yeah, of course. Have you ever heard of a pitcher named Don Newcomb? Of course. Don Newcomb was, I think, the first Cy Young winner. Well, that's my grandfather's brother. Wow. So that's your great uncle. Yes, sir. That's tremendous. uh, Wow. The funny thing is, is that Jackie Robinson uh, served with uh, the 758th and 761st Armored Regiments as a tank commander, and uh, the same exact unit, the 768th, was uh, eventually reorganized and reformed into 164, which is the same unit that I served with. Uh, my point with Robert E. Lee is that the the fact that yes, he was a a enemy general. It does not permit. It doesn't preclude you from learning from his mistakes and his tactics. And this is coming from a military point of view. You know him being at you know his bus being at West Point. It shouldn't be removed. You know the fact that you know it's even being discussed is kind of you know you know cultural Marxist in my opinion. But the fact that you have enemy generals. Both, you know, across the board, you have, you know, uh, that you can learn from. You can learn from Hitler's mistakes, you know, which, you know, you can infer, you know, Napoleon, or you can learn from Subutai, who was uh, Genghis Khan's uh, right-hand man and the only person to actually uh, conquer Russia in the actual winter. But leaders need to learn from others and both the mistakes and the positives. And learning and basically removing something because oh like they're offended by you know who you know what he stood for you know it's not a valid enough reason douglas here you are as a as an army veteran uh, who happens to be black who's a relative of don newcomb who was a real trailblazer who even barack obama said in 2010 that he wouldn't be here if it would not for jackie robinson and don newcomb you think they should not take down these Robert E. Lee statues and artwork? No, I, I don't think so. I mean, even you know, even both the good and the bad that you know, Obama was actually my commander in chief. And even though I don't respect, you know, even even though I don't like his politics, I respect his position. You know, I respect sure. his, you know, you know his uh, his uh, rank as commander in chief sure. at the time, but. You know, I've had, you know, my tank crew, my gunner was an immigrant from Haiti. We did a tour in Iraq to earn a citizenship. My tank commander was a good old boy from Birmingham, Alabama. My uh, loader was a, uh, was a, you know, was a nerd from freaking Reno, Nevada. You know, if we all didn't, you know, get along, none of us are freaking making it home. Right. No, no, no. I, I can understand that. Douglas, what do you say to someone who says, well, look, 
this could be offensive to a lot of people that are descendants of slaves or who just don't like slavery. And this would be the same thing as sending someone to a public school named for Adolf Hitler. What do you say to that argument? Well, here's the thing about slavery is that while it while the practice and the concept of it is detestable and should be as as abhorrent, it's not unique to the entire country, nor the entire world. Hmm. You can name an entire, you know, an, an entire you know any race that you want to, was you know conquered by war, you know, and enslaved at some point. The simple fact that yes, while we had people of African descent, we also had other people who were enslaved in this country. Now, also, what's not taught in school is that we also had people who, like uh, like Sherrod Bryant from uh, Memphis, Tennessee, uh, also owned slaves and was also black. Mm-hmm. So you have a small minority of black people who were also free, but also owned slaves. Well, yeah, in so, fairness, yeah, I'm not sure West yeah, Point's putting up not- any statues to him either. Hey, Douglas, great call. I appreciate yes, the uh, the discussion and the uh, and the uh, perspective. Please call again, okay? Sure. Thank you. Happy New Year. 800-848-9222. Marsha's in Manhattan. Hello, Marsha. How are you, Frank? I I really appreciate um, – I, I didn't call to bust your chops. I called to agree with you. I'm one of those people. And I, I understand why I listen to you so often. The way you put into words, we're not – it's not progressive, but it's a giant step backwards what we're doing, tearing down statues, what's going on in the country in the last few years. Um, in Europe, as you as you point out, they respect history and acknowledge history, and it enriches one's understanding of history. So we don't have to repeat it. We have, At least we have a choice. Well, thank you, Marsha. I appreciate that uh, very much. And you know, one of the points that I meant to bring up, uh, David said so many interesting things, but um, he mentioned how in Germany, and he's right about this, you can't go and see a monument to a Nazi general that was killed. You, there are no, um, there are no Nazi leaders with swastikas hanging in places of honor, right? But I do wonder if we are seeing in Germany a huge. revitalization of Nazism, of underground Nazism. The terrorist attack that we told you about recently in Germany, that was done by modern-day neo-Nazis. And I do wonder if it's the same situation in some weird way that I described the other day with college students and alcohol. In my experience and my observation... The college students that are always the most likely to binge drink and to make bad decisions and to get sick and to, you know, get into a a drunk driving situation, they're the ones that have alcohol denied to them as an 18-year-old, a 19-year-old, and a 20-year-old at home. And I do wonder if this resurgence of Nazism that we're seeing in Germany is in some ways tied to the suppression of German history. Uh, now, I'm not going to be running for prime minister of Germany on a platform of bring back all the Nazi monuments, but I'm just wondering, sort of, just sort of thinking out loud if that's the case. Let me squeeze in one more call here, and then we want to get to the mail because we didn't get to a lot of letters uh, last week. Very quickly, Igor, what's on your mind? 
Yes, Frank. I wanted to agree with you, and, and I, I feel very strongly about the point you just brought up. When you choose to erase that history completely rather than deal with it and, and annotate it and maybe give it a modern interpretation, I think in those Europe, many of those European nations, they come to the realization that their history is very long and it's extraordinarily complex, and interpretations change with time. Granted, there are bad things that happen. Slavery is a bad thing. But I think it's, it's a much better teaching tool if we annotate it and make clear what we don't agree with today. Well said. Thank you, Igor. Appreciate it. We'll go through the mail in just a moment. 800-848-9222. 1-800-848-9222. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. If we make it through December, everything's gonna be alright, I know. It's the coldest time of winter And I shiver when I see the falling snow If we make it through December Got plans to be in a warmer town come summertime Maybe even California if we make it through December, the great we'll be fine. Merle Haggard uh, singing about making it Got through December, which we are hoping to do in the next couple of days and, and make it all the way till 2023. All right. Without further ado, those of you that are holding, we will get to you. Mike, John, and anybody else that's holding, if you want to weigh in on anything we're doing, 800-848-9222. What day is it? I think it's Tuesday. All right. Even though it's Tuesday, we are going to do commendations at the start of next hour. You'll also get to hear my discussion with Lenore Skenazy. And then in the top of our fourth hour, we'll go through the least covered news stories of the year 2023. But first, letters. Oh, we get letters. We get your letters every day. Mailman, mailman, mail today. Reach right in and pull one out. Those letters. I love those letters. Let's find out what you've got to say. Oh, boy. Mailman, mail today. Let me begin with people that send the comments through Facebook. I don't love these Facebook comments. I find they I miss a lot of these comments and it's kind of clunky. And also, one of the things that I find is Facebook has an automated message set up, not from me, but from other people. And what's happening is people are accidentally sending me automated messages like, where are you located? Or tell me about your background. And then they're responding to their own questions, thinking I sent them. So that's why I much prefer email. If you want to email me, it's the way to go. Frank.Moreno at WABCRadio.com. Francis writes of my uh, fill-in appearance on the morning show yesterday on WABC. She writes, uh, great listening to you this morning. Wish you were on every morning. I would listen more. Not too crazy about Sid. Well, I like Sid. I think Sid does... uh, a terrific job, and he's a close friend. But I appreciate that you uh, you were listening, so thank you. All right, um, Robert writing, um, 
Oh, he's responding to the questions that uh, that I was not sending him. All right, via email, Barb writes, Frank, this was a, a very apropos email that I read right before the show. Frank, your body and brain will be so discombobulated after hosting Monday Monday's morning show and Tuesday's midnight show, your body and brain will be screaming, what day is it, what time is it, where am I? By the way, I listened to Dominic Carter this afternoon. He said, I've been commentating about this for a long time. Commentating? Like commenting? Such as, con- same as conversate, similar to converse. Sounds like nails on a chalkboard. I don't know if commentating is correct, but I like it. I like hearing commentating. To me, it's a very different act than commenting. Well, to me, I view commenting as, you know, all right, I see something. Oh, it's a nice day out. That's I'm commenting on it. But if I'm giving punditry, if I'm giving detailed analysis on the radio or TV, I'm commentating on it. I don't know if that's accurate, what I just said, but in my brain, there is a... Uh, a difference. Hey, speaking of Italy, here's a nice note from uh, Italy. Giorgio writes, uh, my name is Giorgio. I don't know if he wants his last name used, so I'm not going to mention it. I live in Italy, and I'm a huge fan of yours. Every uh, every morning I listen to your radio program while I'm driving, delivering wine to my co- clients. I know it's hard for you to reply to all the emails you receive, so I don't expect that. I just wanted you to say, I just wanted to say thank you for all the good time you've given me so far. I wish you and your family a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. That was awfully nice. Thank you. Uh, this was uh, an email from Debbie. A Merry Christmas, Frank and family. You're still on, and I couldn't wait to write. This is your Christmas present to me and all the other lucky listeners. This was uh, from Friday's show, which I got great feedback on who are up at this hour, I was fully prepared to feel sorry for myself when I arose at three-something, but then I realized you'd be on. You have not failed to deliver. The St. Nick stuff was so wonderful and edifying that at times I felt like I was back in college with the best of professors. Hearing Lynn Samuels was another amazing treat, but if I had to pick just one thing that will forever bring a smile to my face, it has to be Julia Child and Carmine. Magnificent. Ditto your delivery with those feet across the kitchen and all the rest. Thank you once again, turning my very early day around. I fear you're becoming such a phenomenon. (laughs) I can assure you, Debbie, that's not the case. Uh, I fear that you're becoming such a phenomenon that you may have to have staff answer your emails soon. If that happens, I hereby request special dispensation. This can be a very challenging time for all of us, thinking about those past Christmases, which can never be again, and those loved ones who are not here anymore. But then here you are giving us all a special and new connection that brings joy, comfort, and laughter. Thank you, Frank. I wish the same joy and laughter that you bring. I wish you the same joy and laughter that you bring to all your listeners. That was nice. That was one of the nicer emails that I received this week. They were not all nice, though. Believe me. Uh, I'm going to try and find one of the best written negative emails. Um, oh, this is a good email here. This is from, uh, I don't think it's signed, Lori. Uh, flawless. This is about this morning's show. Can't wait for tonight. Lori, well, that was awfully nice. I uh, appreciate that. And uh, not to be outdone, we have uh, Janet. This is, uh, well, it's a little long. I'm not going to read that one. Uh, Great job this morning. This is from Michael. Great job this morning. I told Mr. Katz to keep you on in the morning. You're an excellent conversationalist and well-prepared. Straight ahead with Frank Morano in the morning. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Let me, um, because a few people wrote to that, wrote me on that. 
Let me put that uh, put out that fire right now. I really love being on at night, and I think it's just just great. I did mornings for about 15 years in varying capacities. Sometimes it was starting at 5, sometimes it was starting at 6, sometimes I was starting at 7. And I can tell you it was um, absolutely, I think it may take me another 15 years to recover from doing morning. I am a night guy. I appreciate the opportunity to occasionally be on in the morning, but I am a night guy. This is from Jonathan. Hey, Frank. I'm listening to your show tonight. This is from the other night. And I'm hearing you, uh, I don't even like to use a bad word, but I'm hearing you, I'll change the word. I'm hearing you moan about what Zelensky was wearing in front of Congress, which seems so unimportant relative to the big picture. Here's the big picture. Putin has stated he wants to rebuild the Russian Empire. So if he takes over Ukraine, do you think he won't continue rolling into other old Soviet states? Can't wait to read your response. So my response was, show me the quote where Putin says that. Because he says, if you notice, two very contradictory things there. He says that Putin wants to rebuild the Russian Empire. And then he's saying, oh, well, uh, let's see where you are when Putin rolls into another Soviet state. The Soviet Union and the Russian Empire were two very different things. So uh, I said, show me the quote where Putin says that. Crickets, nothing. So I take the time out of my day to show him the quote. And I say, um, as I previously noted, Putin has not advocated a return to the USSR. Rather, he's saying that the way it broke up caused suffering for millions, many Russians as well as non-Russians. And then he just ignores my correction and goes on some other anti-Russian rant. And uh, I'm reminded of that old, uh, old phrase from Martin Luther King, who says, "Tell him you can know a man not by his friends." but by his enemies. So I, uh, not that this guy's an enemy. I appreciate the fact that he listens even though he disagrees. But you know, I always can tell how someone is based on how they respond to uh, a correction when they're trying to correct me on something. All right, Robert writes, Merry Christmas. Frank, have followed you since the Bob Grant days, and you really have become like a personal member of a radio family for me and my wife. Thanks for all the wonderful shows. You make us think. Sorry I'm not up to call, but I wanted to wish you and all your family a Merry Christmas. I still don't know how you do it for all the shows and have such a successful personal life. Wish I lived on Staten Island to stop by and play some ping pong. Yeah, I'm always looking for uh, for ping pong players, so I appreciate that, Robert. By the way, one of the people that uh, I meant to find this one that disagreed with me on the uh, Ukraine situation was uh, was super nice about it. And uh, I want to get his name so that I can give him proper credit because he disagreed completely with what I said. Uh, but um, he, uh, some of the other people that disagreed with me on the Ukraine thing, I can't read because there's so much profanity in it uh, that uh, it really is just just terrible. But uh, this one fellow, I'll find his name. I'm sorry I don't have it in front of me. But uh, he went out of his way to um, cr- critique what I was saying. But then he pointed out how he listens all the time, which I think is nice. Uh, If you disagree, I give you even more credit for continuing to listen. All right. Uh, I think we'll probably end it there. If you didn't get your letter read, hopefully it can be read on the next edition of... A 
800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Mike is calling from Parts Unknown. Uh, Mike, we got about a minute here. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, Frank. All the best. Uh, I enjoy your show. Like I was saying to Kenny before, uh, interesting. I got to read the racket report, first of all. And uh, I don't like revisionist history, taking statues down. I don't like it. And uh, you know what? It's enough is enough. I read about the Civil War. I read about slavery. If they ever put a statue of Kaepernick up, I'll take it down. <laughs> I'll take it down. Rib shot. All right, Frank. All the best. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. That's not bad. That's not bad. All right. Coming up next hour, we got commendations and uh, a bunch of other great... Co- and Lenore Skenazy will be here. We'll talk about a new tool for parents of children with autism and free-range parenting in the 21st century. Until next hour... Keep asking questions. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. I cannot stop watching these uh, singing hippies from Star Trek. I mean, my goodness, this is great. I was just watching, just now. Stepping to Eden, yay, brother. So then I said, maybe my recollection is faulty. Maybe people don't review that, regard this as as bad a Star Trek episode as I seem to remember. Sure enough. I just pulled up three separate lists of the worst Star Trek episodes of all time. On two of them, it is the worst Star Trek episode of all time, which I disagree with. And on the other one, it's the third worst Star Trek episode of all time. So, um, you know what? Tastes are subjective. So be it. All right. uh, We're going to do commendations in just a bit. But I found that tweet that I wanted to highlight. So, I said that I tweeted this, right? And you can... I'm offering uh, it not for the truth of its content, but for the fact that it was said. So I tweeted this a few days ago. I said, say what you will about Tucker Carlson. But in a day of bipartisan fawning pro-Zelensky coverage on every channel, it's refreshing to hear a different perspective on giving $45 billion more to Ukraine while American concerns go unaddressed. Remarkable to hear, even if you disagree. That's what I said. So uh, one gentleman by the name of Will, Will the Thrill, who has a Ukrainian flag as part of his uh, profile photo, he says, you favorably write about a journalist who publicly daily supports Putin and says Zelensky is Ukrainian strip club manager? Question mark. Really, Frank? You were better than that once. You should be ashamed of yourself. Now, whenever anybody says those words to me, you should be ashamed of yourself. My response is always the same as it was to Will. I says, I said, uh, I certainly am. Believe me, I am ashamed of myself. And he responds, and this is why I respect the guy. He's got a sense of humor. He says, ha-ha, love you, Frank. And then he adds, Frank, you are what Larry King and Art Bell could, cre- could create in a lab. Seriously, you're the best. I had your back this weekend when Curtis and his producer went on a poke fun at Frank Tear. Good morrow. Merry Christmas. So that was nice. I always like to end on a kind of a positive note. By the way, I believe I am off Thursday and Friday of this week. So I believe Curtis is going to be in on both of those days. 
of for me as I go out and uh, celebrate New Year's Eve Eve in Atlantic City. If you're in Atlantic City this weekend and you want to come to the party, you can email me. I'll send you an invite, uh, frank.morano at wabcradio.com. Should be a good party, I must say. I am um, putting together everything. I, I had hoped to get more done yesterday. That's why I took the day off. But then uh, when I was doing the morning show, I didn't get as much done as I would have liked. So we're working on that. All right. Uh, We're going to do commendations in a moment. But John in Nevada has been patiently holding. Hello, John. Hey, Frank. Hey. Uh, You were talking uh, about, uh, you know, removing the statues of hordes of slavery. You know, sure, it was a horrible thing. It was over 200 years ago. Just about every culture in the world has utilize slavery at one point or another um i think we should spend more time talking about the people that still have slaves and the people that have no human rights today like in china we have all these nba players at the end of their career go play in china china has imprisoned uh most of the muslims in china Uh, they have prison camps for them they have other camps for flu gong where they harvest their organs Yet we're still doing business with China because they loan us money. Uh, if we're so concerned about our slavery from 200 years ago, we should be concerned about doing business with China today. We should be concerned about what's going on in Africa today. Those things today are much more important than what we did 200 years ago. Well, thank you, John. I appreciate that. Uh, I don't think you hear someone that is more vocal than I am on human rights abuses in China but I don't think, look, just to give give uh, proper due to the people who disagree with me, I don't think the folks that were saying that we should take down this Robert E. Lee statue, I don't think they were saying we should put up a statue of Mao or uh, or Xi Jinping at West Point. I mean, it, you can you can be against honoring Confederate heroes and at the same time be against the oppression of the Uyghurs in China. I don't think the two are mutually exclusive. But uh, your point's well taken. Thank you for the call. All right, without further ado, it is time for... The Other Side of Midnight presents Commendations. I want to commend uh, these kayakers who helped rescue a pilot after a small cr- pl- small plane crashed uh, in, in uh, Maryland. John Galeen used a kayak and a shovel to cross the ice to rescue this pilot from the frozen waters of Beard Creek after witnessing this crash from his home. Really wild story, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners on WCBM in Baltimore are familiar with this area, but you had this small plane crash into Beard's Creek shortly after takeoff, and the the pilot was a 71-year-old man. And the... um, it's just such a incredible story of heroism. And uh, my compliments to John, John Galeen and the other kayakers involved in this rescue here. Uh, I want to commend as well a dog named Artemis. Yes, that's right. I don't know if they call him Artie for short. This is a good dog. A golden retriever named Artemis from Louisiana has been hailed as a hero for protecting young girls lost in the woods for hours. He helped protect his seven-year-old and four-year-old owners who were lost in the woods for four hours. He's their family dog, and he is being praised by everybody because this dog, Artemis, 
protected these two young girls who wandered off and got lost in the Louisiana woods for hours. Abigail and her four-year-old sister, Cecilia, were reported missing in Louisiana. They were accompanied by their golden retriever. So this dog protected these, these two little girls. The girls wandered off more than a mile, and the family dog laid on top of them to protect them when they got tired. And um, I, you got to give credit to a dog like this. This is a good dog. This is an absolutely wonderful dog. Those golden retrievers, I'll tell you, they live up to the stereotype. Hey, speaking of animals, I also have to give a commendation to a Michigan chicken by the name of Peanut. Because it looks like Peanut, at 20 years old, just might be the oldest living chicken in the world. That's right. Marcy Parker Darwin of Waterloo, Michigan. Isn't it interesting that we have another story about Waterloo today? Yesterday was Waterloo, Iowa. Today is Waterloo, Michigan. Tomorrow's going to be Napoleon. Um, This woman is uh, seeking Guinness, official Guinness World Record recognition for this pet chicken, Peanut, who is believed to be the oldest chicken in the world at the age of 20. So we'll we'll see. It looks like this is forthcoming, but uh, there seems to be, this seems legitimate. They seem to have all Peanut's ducks in a row, or at least all his chicken eggs in a row. All right. I want to give a commendation to Sunnyvale, California. That's right. Sunnyvale, California. They have been ranked the happiest city in America. The um, website Smart Asset, reviewing 13 metrics based on personal finances, well-being, quality of life, They ranked 165 of the nation's largest cities to find where Americans are happiest. And California did very well. Six California cities landed in the top ten, with Sunnyvale ranking number one. Very impressive. Congratulations to you if you live in Sunnyvale. Hey, I have to give a commendation to a pro wrestler I used to follow for years And that is Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Hacksaw Jim Duggan, a pro wrestling legend. He's the one. He would uh, run around carrying a two-by-four and uh, putting his thumb up in the air. He was kind of a wild man. He would wear a beard. And he would uh, carry the American flag. It's uh, USA, USA. So he put his wrestling skills and his brawn to the test. He lives in South Carolina, and last week he saved himself and his wife from an intruder using only his wrestling skills and his 44 Magnum to take down this individual that was trying to break into their house. So on December 8th, the Duggins faced an unexpected surprise when a man claiming that men were going to kill him pounding, you know, started pounding on the door frantically for help. So Hacksaw thought it was a home invasion, but further explained why the man was running in the first place. Duggan uh, said that he was in his home when he heard pounding on the door. The man burst into his home, falling to the ground. He grabbed the man and threw him out onto his front porch and performed a wrestling technique to pin him to the ground. And thankfully, everybody was okay. He gets the 44 Magnum, 
which can be a pretty intimidating gun if you've ever seen one. And he gets him down on the ground. He's screaming, help me, help me. They're trying to kill me. The pro wrestler relayed that he soon realized his first impression had been wrong. It wasn't a home invasion. He and his wife live in the country in South Carolina with 10 acres on a dirt road surrounded by a fence and a big gate. And they usually leave the door open for their pets at night. So he sees, Jim Duggan sees nobody else come in. He pushes him down. He's screaming, other guys are coming to kill him. (coughs) He can hear people out in the dirt road yelling, we're going to get you. So Hacksaw recalled uh, exactly, you know, what the guy had said initially, that this guy claimed that people were after him. So he grabs his gun, tells the man to keep quiet while his wife calls 911. And the Kershaw County Sheriff's Department arrives at the scene. And uh, this is wild. This is absolutely wild. Apparently, according to what uh, Jim Duggan had told Fox News Channel, the man had a restraining order against him from a young girl um, who lived in one of the houses down the road. There are only five or six houses along the road. He broke into their house or something. It was her brother and uncle. And um, the two guys had pistols. They pistol whipped him. They chased him down the road. And the man was seeking help from other people. But it wasn't until he got to Duggan's house that he climbed over the fence, lost his shoes, and broke into the house. So it's a wild, um, a wild story. It's a wild story. And it goes to show you that Jim Duggan, pro wrestler or not, is not somebody to be trifled with. I want to uh, commend Johnny Kawand. Johnny Kawand is one of the best Santa Clauses in Beirut. And maybe one of the best Santa Clauses outside of the North Pole in the entire world. You know, I have a friend of mine who masquerades as Santa Claus sometimes. And he came over and spent some time with Carmine the other day. And I really appreciate it. He looks great. He was very good. He played the part well. And I sent some photos to my family. Because they always like seeing good Carmine photos. And my sister Claudia said, ah... That's a scrub Santa. And I was really offended by that. And I said, why? Why do you say that? She says, any Santa Claus that can't grow his own beard is a scrub Santa. Listen to what this IT worker in Beirut by the name of Johnny Kawand does. He's been dressing up as Santa Claus for over a decade. His preparations are so intense that he actually spends about five months growing a Santa Claus style beard. Times are tough in Lebanon, and it's no secret that Christmas can bring the religiously diverse population of that so often war-torn country together, and uh, he is apparently one of the best Santas out there. I want to give a commendation to regular exercise. Now, every day we could do a different segment about how exercise is beneficial to you physically, how exercise is good for your brain. This is something that I think is worth noting as we head into a triple-demic of flu, RSV, and COVID. This new study has found that men and women who worked out at least 30 minutes most days are four times more likely to survive COVID than inactive people. Now, on the one hand, it really shouldn't surprise a lot of people because We know that uh, if you are obese or overweight, you're much more likely to have a tougher time with COVID than 
if you're in really good shape. But it is nice to know that this study found that exercise in almost any amount reduced people's risk for a severe COVID infection. Even people who worked out for as little as 11 minutes a week, a week. This made me feel good because some days it's tough for me to get the 11 minutes in. Experienced lower risk of hospitalization or death from COVID. This is a real study, uh, and it was done by a uh, clinical professor at Kaiser Permanente Bernard Tyson School of Medicine in L.A. Uh, So I think um, that's great news. So if you don't want to die from COVID, you know, step on a treadmill once in a while. I want to commend these two heroic Indianapolis women who led cops to a kidnapped baby and the kidnapping suspect in Indiana. Baby Kaysen Thomas went missing from Columbus, Ohio last Monday. Nala Jackson, a 24-year-old woman, was identified as the suspect. She was also accused of kidnapping Kaysen's twin brother. So Cheyenne Delmar encounters this woman at an Indianapolis gas station. Though she didn't realize it, the uh, newspaper out there, the Indianapolis Star, broke the story initially, and Cheyenne Delmar said she bought toys from Jackson and gave her a ride to a family dollar store. During that drive, this woman, Nala Jackson, starts acting erratically, and Cheyenne Delmar starts surreptitiously taking video on her phone. She sends that video to her cousin, and they both realized that this woman looked like a kidnapping suspect they had seen in the news. Listen to them what happens. Nayla Jackson agrees to meet Cheyenne Delmar again. Delmar and her cousin cooked up a plan to take Jackson to a store and call the cops. But when the two women called the police, she and her cousin, they were unable to convince authorities they were actually traveling with a kidnapping suspect. Can you imagine? So Delmar and her cousin feared that taking Jackson to a police station would only cause her to run away. The cops called Delmar back while she's driving on the interstate highway, and Delmar was finally able to convince them to conduct a traffic stop to see this woman for themselves, the kidnapper. But even after officers pulled over the car, they still weren't convinced. Imagine this. This woman has convinced a kidnapper to come back into a car with her and go on this long trip. And the police are saying, well, yeah, we're not seeing it. It's not her. So they finally, Delmar and her cousin, had to pull out a mugshot and show it to a cop. And thankfully, that finally led to Jackson's arrest. I mean, these, this is a brave woman here. Cheyenne Delmar, Indiana, I commend you. And I must also commend the um, Wesley Autry. Do you remember Wesley Autry back in 2007? He got a great deal. He was uh, basically famous for 15 minutes. He saved a film student's life in 2007 when he fell onto the subway tracks in Manhattan following a seizure. So, you know what happened to him this week? He won $52,820. He won the Publishers Clearinghouse Prize Patrol. That Those are the guys that, uh, that used to surprise you at the Super Bowl. Ed McMahon and 
Dick Clark. Remember, they used to come to your house. Publishers clearing house with the huge checks. The subway hero of Harlem from 2007, he won it this week. So he, he gets a Ford Bronco or the cash value of the Ford Bronco, $52,000. I love to see stories like this. Um, guys that are heroic just for the sake of being heroic, and then good things end up happening to them. That's great. Um, penultimately, I want to commend Saul Seltzer and a restaurant called Raising Cane's. Saul Seltzer is a Chicago native and a World War II veteran who this week celebrated his 100th birthday. 100th birthday. Now, that's it's impressive to be a World War II veteran. It's even more impressive to live to 100. And he went to his favorite restaurant in town, Raising Cane's. He's been eating lunch there every week for years. So when his friends found out, when his friends at the restaurant, Raising Cane's, that it was going to be his 100th birthday, they threw, they threw him a big party. And they uh, actually went so far as to um, serve, they, they, they commemorated the celebration by making a $10,000 donation to Bright Focus Foundation, uh, one of Mr. Seltzer's favorite charities, because his wife suffered from macular degeneration. And not surprisingly, they gave him a free chicken finger meal for the rest of his life, which I think is nice. And finally, I want to commend my one-year-old son, Carmine William Morano. You might have heard on the radio program yesterday that on Christmas Day, he took his first steps. That's right. Has not really repeated that, but uh, he did walk unassisted for about, I don't know, 10 feet, I'll say. So it was uh, a real thrill to watch, I must say. All right. Uh, I did get the chance to speak with Lenore Skenazy this morning when I was filling in for Sid Rosenberg. If you didn't get an opportunity to hear that discussion, please stay tuned. And if you did, listen again. I'll be back in a few minutes, and you can comment on it or you cannot comment on it. Lenore Skenazy, we talk about uh, children with autism, how they communicate, and uh, uh, just free-range parenting in general. We'll get into that straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Come and sing simple song, freedom. Sing it like you've never sung before. Let it fill the air, tell the people everywhere We the people here don't want war Hey there, Mr. Black Man, can you hear me? I don't want your diamonds or your game I just want to be someone known to you as me 
And I will bet my life you want the same. The great Bobby Darren singing a simple song of freedom. Still a such a beautiful song about more than 50 years after it was released. And uh, still so relevant when it look looks at uh, when you look at what's happening in terms of world affairs the situation in uh, Ukraine and elsewhere by the way if you're just tuning in this is Sid and Friends in the morning Sid Rosenberg is off for a well-deserved vacation this week he's going to be back in the year 2013 I'm Frank Morano here we're going to take your calls at 800-848-9222 but the issue of freedom gets talked about a lot in a racial context it gets talked a lot about in a political context but We don't necessarily talk about freedom when it comes to parenting and when it comes to our children. And one of the unfortunate trends that we've seen over the last 25, 30 years has been parents are getting less and less willing to give their children freedom. One of the people who has led the movement to fight back against that trend is one of my favorite people in the world, a gifted writer, an incredible person, someone that I find really inspirational. She is the founder of Free Range Kids and the president of Let Grow, a nonprofit that promotes childhood independence. It is a great, great deal of pleasure to welcome back Lenore Skenazy. Lenore, it's great to talk with you. How have you been? Um, I've been way, I'm like, I'm on a high from that intro. That was so lovely. <laughs> thank you so much, Frank. I'm well, great. Thank you. It's true. And, uh, and I hope you had a great holiday with, uh, with your family as well. Hey, I want to talk with you a little bit about uh, some of the worst free-range parenting stories from the year 2022. And I know you're going to work on a column in Reason.com about that. But I had to Mm -hmm. ask you about your column in the New York Post on Sunday. Really interesting. Oh, Um, yeah. The headline is Miracle Workers Meet the Local Teachers Using a Breakthrough Technique that Enables Severely Autistic Kids to Communicate for the first time. Unfortunately, we've seen so many more children being diagnosed with autism and a lot of parents wonder about, you know, how they can um, have something resembling a normal childhood for their children who may have autism. Tell us about this. What is this uh, breakthrough technique that allows autistic kids to communicate? Well, um, it, it sounded too good to be true. So let me say that to begin with, which is why I had to go and see it for myself. Um, it's something called spelling to communicate. And what it is, is kids with um, nonverbal autism, about 30% of people with autism can't actually speak or have very minimal speaking abilities. Um, and that's partly because, uh, you know, I know so little about autism. This is just what I've learned when I was writing this story. Um, but speaking um, requires small motor skills of the mouth, and writing requires fine motor skills of the hand. But if you're pointing with your whole arm, that's a gross motor skill. And that's what has been harnessed in this spelling to communicate technique that I saw. Um, So kids are taught to point to um, letters on what what ends up basically being looking like a laminated placemat with the alphabet on it. And so you ask a question, and um, at first it's very hard for them to point, and the letters are huge, and then gradually they get smaller and they all fit on the placemat, Um, you know. Uh, who, uh, you know, who is the president of the United States, and they can, you know, point to B-I-D-E-N. And then after a while of practicing this technique, which is hard, and I think it's hard for people with autism to 
to see the whole letter board to begin with. It's hard to point, but eventually they get good. Some even get good enough to end up using a, a keyboard mm. on their own, which obviously is the greatest gift ever. Um, but the kids I saw, one of them ended up using a keyboard. I, I visited a classroom with six um, kids with autism, and the rest were pointing to these letters. And I wanted to make sure that it wasn't the teacher holding on to the kid's hand and, you know, stabbing their finger at point Right, to so the, the so-called Ouija board effect, yeah. Yes, because um, in the 90s, I think it was, there was a – there was something called facilitated communication, which involved a teacher holding the hand of the kid. And it looked too easy to fake, and, and um, possibly it always was or it sometimes was. I, I'm not an expert in that. But I can tell you that I, I really thought that this thing sounded too much like a breakthrough that everybody would hope for to believe, which is why I went and visited the classroom twice and I took videos of it, um, because these are kids who, had, who were in their late teens who everybody, their parents hadn't written them off, but they hadn't been able to say anything even as simple as, I hate, you know, I hate hamburgers. Stop giving me hamburgers or, um, you know, my knee hurts or whatever. And, and the kids I was speaking to, I watched them answer a lot of questions for quizzes. The teacher would read them a section about, you know, what is denitrification or how do the weather cycles work? And they would answer those questions. But I thought that could also be, I mean, that was fantastic. But it's also um, something, you know, maybe they're savants and they take in information and they give it right back to you like a computer as opposed to like a, a thinking, feeling person. Because what did I know? Um, but then I was there and I got to ask questions of this one boy uh, who's the son of the founder of the school. The school is called the Acton Academy of Eastern Long Island. It's in Riverhead. And I asked him, you know. Well, how did it feel before you could spell to communicate? Because he was 16 before he learned this. Now he's 18. And he, and he po points to the letters. And I'm watching and filming. And it's like, I felt alone, <laughs> you know. And what would you say to people who don't trust this mm. technique? Like me, sort of, to begin with, <laughs> before I saw it. And, and he said, uh, you know, I would ask them to trust our words. And, you know, that was pretty astounding sure. and and the idea that inside of at least these kids <laughs> the ones that i saw uh inside of these um kids with autism there's uh a brain that is you know that has a hard time moving its body and has a hard time with the world um and yet is is thinking seeing feeling and and locked in <laughs> You know, that's like my biggest fear that someday I'll be paralyzed and, I, you know, and nobody will know that I'm fine inside and I'm cracking jokes to myself and I can't get anything out. I mean, here we are. All we're doing is communicating. Imagine if, you know, I was this smart person and you were that smart person and nobody knew. And and we were stuck doing boring, stupid things like stringing beads our whole life because nobody had any idea that there was a, a, a mind um, working and thinking like ours in there, just unable to communicate. So. That was it. I, I saw it. I've gotten some criticism already. Um, people who, you know, think that it does sound too good to be true. And I have to say, I was one of those. That's why, you know, if you go to the, to the story um, online with, with the New York Post, you can click on, you know, it says I made videos. of it. You click on that and then you see the videos that I made. And, and I took my husband and son along with me to, to make sure. I mean, it's, it's so counterintuitive. Mm. That I had to take, I'm like, and I watched my videos again and again yesterday because it is, I don't want to be fooled. I don't want to be a sap. Sure. I certainly don't want to, you know, help a, a charlatan, but, but it wasn't that. I mean, I, I saw it. I talked to the kids. 
it's it's is maybe it's just those six kids <laughs> um, and some kids who wrote some books, but. Um, it was real, and I was stunned. If people uh, haven't read the column, I've just linked to it on my Facebook page at uh, facebook.com slash moranofan. People can read it, and then, as you mentioned, there is a link uh, to the video. L- last question about this, Lenore. There's going to be some people mm-hmm. listening to this that might be parents or grandparents of autistic mm-hmm. children that have a difficult time mm-hmm. communicating. If they mm-hmm. want their child to have access to a tool like this, is this school mm-hmm. on Long Island the only place that you're aware of that's offering something like this, or or is this, or is this a resource that uh, other parents can tap into, even if they don't live out there on Eastern Long Island? Right. Uh, it was very hard for me to find a place that was teaching spelling to communicate. I kept asking on Facebook. I was asking on Twitter. Um, there are about 350 practitioners around the country. I don't know where they are. Um, I have a friend whose son is doing something like this in San Diego. There is a center for, um, I think it's the International Association for Spelling to Communicate, IASC, down in Virginia. Um, I I think you look up the International Association for Spelling to Communicate and Mm -hmm. try to find it, but it's not popular yet, and it is distrusted. And that's why I don't don't like, you know, weirdly enough, I don't like being controversial. I don't want to be doing anything wrong or, you know, going out on a limb um, about something that might not work for everyone. I'm certain it doesn't work for everybody. Nothing works for everybody. Um, but uh, I really wanted to see it. And that Long Island school was the closest I could find. Wow. And I live in Queens um, to go see where it's happening. We're talking with Lenore Skenazy. Uh, you could check out some of her work with Free Range Kids at freerangekids.com. Lenore, if uh, people are unfamiliar with your work or they haven't heard mm-hmm. our previous conversations, you sort of catapulted. Shame on them. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But you sort of catapulted to international notoriety when you let your nine-year-old son ride the subway by himself at nine years old. Now, a lot of our listeners who read the New York Post every day and see a different story on the front page about how terrible crime is, especially on the subway, they just look at this and yell... They can't believe that you would ever subject a child to the perils of the subway. Now, um, you were labeled by some the world's worst mom for this uh, endeavor. Um, How did your son manage to survive a trip on the subway by himself at nine years old? Well, Frank, I'm not sure where you are. If you're in the ABC studios, how did you survive (laughs) getting to and from work? Um, He survived the way about six million people do a day, which is just... uh, getting on the subway, minding his own business, getting off the subway and trudging up the stairs. You know, I worked at the Daily News myself for 14 years, so I'm familiar with tabloids. <laughs> Love the Daily News. Um, and, uh, you know, our, you know, our mantra, if it bleeds, it leads, you know, tell people the worst story so that they'll be so shocked that they'll buy the paper. That's, you know, you got to make people buy the paper. But of course, it's sort of like if you want to know how 99.99% of the world lives or the city lives, you know, talk to a regular person. And if you want to know about how the 0.01% least fortunate have have spent their day, you know, pick up the daily news or pick up the post and you'll read the anomalies are what make make us interested, right? A kid waiting at the bus stop, getting on the bus and coming home at the day is not interested. A kid snatched from the bus stop will be a story for the next 40 or 50 years. Whenever we speak, I am deluged with uh, 
I'd say about 40 to 50 percent angry phone callers who are usually over the age of 55 who always say the same thing. They, they essentially say, you know, I used to do that. I used to ride the subway. I used to go to the playground and stay out until yeah. it was time to come home for dinner. I used to go to the ballpark by myself. But it was safe to do that back then. These days with crime out of control and getting worse all over the place, it's not safe to let a child do that anymore. I'm sure you You've heard that criticism more times than I have. What is the response to that, Lenore? The response is I totally get it. It does feel scary. Um, I'm a reporter, as we discussed by trade. And as you know, I want to see for myself. And so I look up the crime statistics. And in fact, crime is up in New York City. Crime is up from when Izzy took the subway by himself. But it's still lower than it was in the 80s and 90s and early 2000s. So, you know, it's we are bombarded with more media than ever. And the way the brain works is it asks, you know, is it safe to ride the subway and up come the easiest to retrieve articles in our brain, right? The, the search results are, no, what about that lady who was a, you know, what about the violinist who was shoved on the tracks or what about this person and that person? And what our brain can't focus on are what about the other six million people who are taking the train at its peak and, and fine. And so we get, you know, normally when we ask our brain a question, the search results are relevant. You know, I'm trying to find a cafe where I can go meet my friend this morning on the Upper East Side. I'll Google 86th Street, uh, you know, East Side cafes, and, and it will come up with results that mean something. But the way our brain works, it's coming up with the easiest to retrieve worst stories that I've seen mm. in over 55 years. Mm. And that is very scary. And so you get... Um, you know, I don't blame people for being scared because that's the that's the media diet. I'm part of the media diet. That's what people are fed. But, you know, real life is, thank God, a lot more boring and a lot more safe than uh, the front page of the Post or the Daily News. Uh, Lenore, are things in terms of uh, acceptance of free range parenting? I see some states uh, passing laws that mm-hmm. are basically codifying free range parenting and making clear that it's OK if uh, a parent is not hovering over their 15 year old 23 hours <laughs> a day. But then mm-hmm. I see stories like the ones that you've highlighted in 2022. And I'm trying to get a sense from your perspective. Are things getting better or worse if you're on the side of free-range parenting? Yeah, that's. I'm always trying to figure that one out, too. Um, yes, we've had four states have passed what we call reasonable childhood independence laws, which say, you know, parents are allowed to make a decision about when their kids, you know, play outside, walk to school, stay home alone for a bit, as long as they aren't putting the kid in obvious, serious, and likely danger. So you might not want to send your eight-year-old, you know, to the park or your 10-year-old to the bodega to get the milk. But if I do and I'm not putting her in serious and likely danger, it's it's up to me. And so that was passed in Utah, Colorado, Texas, and Oklahoma. And now we're working in four more states, Michigan, Connecticut, Virginia, and Nebraska, trying to get that same law passed. And when it does, it will help the parents who are second-guessed by the government. Um, in my compilation of the worst, you know, let grow stories of 2022, uh, I, I highlight a couple one, one where a mom let her 14 year old babysit the four younger siblings because it was at the beginning of COVID and, and just came out. Now there's a, there's a motion being filed, which is why it's a 2022 story, but it was the beginning of COVID and, um, the daycare center where the mom 
you know, normally sends the youngest kids was closed because of COVID, but the mom still had to go to work. She has a 14-year-old daughter. She's responsible. She says, okay, will you watch the kids while I go? And, and the, the daughter says, sure. But in fact, while the daughter is doing some of this online learning that everybody had to do, the four-year-old, and this is in a rural town in Georgia, wanders out of the house. It's, there's, there's no cars. There's nothing there. Goes to his buddy's house, which is like a house or two away. And the buddy's mom calls the cops. What an idiot. But she called the cops instead of just marching him over or letting him have a play date, giving him a peanut butter sandwich, and then marching him over. Um, and the, the police arrested the mom, and they said they, that she put her kids in or she recklessly endangered the kids. I don't think making a seat-of-the-pants decision on a day when the daycare is closed and you have a 14-year-old, even if the 14-year-old isn't perfect, I think you're allowed to have life happen. Uh, but they said the kid could have been kidnapped or oh. run over by the non-existent cars or bitten by a venomous snake, <laughs> my favorite thing. And it only takes a few minutes. The kid was only gone for like 10 or 15 minutes. But in that time, just think of how many snakes could have, you know, uh, organized themselves and, and come and attacked him with all their venom. So, so that was a crazy law, I mean, a crazy um, decision. And then there was a similar one where a mom let her, uh, her eight-year-old was bothering the two younger kids in the car. They were half a mile from home. She made a decision that I think many of your listeners have made at some point. If you can't behave, you can walk the rest of the way home. And so he decided he would just walk the rest of the way home, half a mile. And somebody called because it's so unusual to see children doing anything on their own. We've forgotten they have legs. We've forgotten they have brains called to say, there's a child outside, <laughs> and three cops speed over. This is in a suburb of Waco, Texas, and um, and they come to the house, and they tell the mom, you know, what, what did you do? And she said, well, you know, he was having a hard time in the car. I know mm -hmm. he regulates himself when he walks home sometimes. And they said, well, you know, what if he had been kidnapped? What if he had been sex trafficked? You know, and, they, and the cop even said, there really isn't sex trafficking around here, but what if? And And she's like, well, I don't know. And he said, well, would you ever do this again? She said, um, maybe. <laughs> and that's when he said, well, I'm going to have to arrest you. Unbelievable. Handcuffs, yeah. Handcuffs off to jail. No shoes. Even they said, they'll give you Jews in jail. They didn't give her shoes in jail. She was out the next day. Um, but then she had to take a plea bargain because if she took this to court and she lost, she was facing a mandatory, mandatory minimum of two years in jail. Oh my, and, for making a, an eight year old walk a, a couple of blocks, half a mile suburban Texas, in a place that he knew, and there's sidewalks, and there's not much traffic. I mean, the thing about it is that maybe that those cops would not do the same thing. Maybe they were going to wait till their kids were, as you said, you know, in their early 50s before they let them do anything on their own. And that's fine, but it shouldn't be up to the government to say, well, I wouldn't do it that way. It should be up to the government to to help kids who are in literal danger. If you know that a kid is literally in danger, not some danger you can imagine, you know, what if a giant eagle comes from the sky? What if there's a meteor? Uh, you know, what if there's a, you know, a cavalcade of white vans, each of them with a puppy in it? You can't just imagine danger and say, because you weren't imagining as much as me, you're a bad parent. You have to say, you have to prove that the kid was in serious, likely, obvious danger. And that kid was not just like you and me walking home. It's just you're allowed to still be a child in public if your parent decides it's safe.
All right, uh, Lenore, I'm getting the uh, the wrap up uh, signal enthusiastically <laughs> and quickly from uh, the folks uh, in the control room. Uh, these are all ten of these stories are. At the, are fascinating and horrifying, and I want to encourage people to uh, keep an eye out for it when it's uh, in, published in Reason, and uh, I'll link to it on my Facebook page as well when it is published at uh, facebook.com slash MoranoFan. Lenore, it's always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for joining me. Happy New Year. Yeah, hey, I, I wish you a happy new year, and I'm, I'm wrapping up. <laughs> okay, thanks. Thank thanks. you, Lenore. If you want to comment on any portion of our discussion, you could join me at 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. The Other Side of Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Jinxing something that has gone very well. I really uh, must uh, give a compliment to Alex Barnard, who is uh, manning the board today in place of uh, Matt Blaze, who was here yesterday. Uh, he is off, I think, for the rest of the week. So Alex is with us for the rest of the week. And I'm hesitant to say this because this is almost inviting a major, major problem uh, to occur either later today or tomorrow. But uh, so far, he has done uh, a nearly flawless You're job. Funny, aren't you? <laughs> uh, and my thanks to uh, to Joe, who is uh, helping us out today as well, and uh, obviously Kenneth, who has decided uh, it's one of those rare days where he's actually choosing to come back to work. So uh, thank you to Kenneth as well. 800-848-9222. Larry is in Brooklyn. Hello, Larry. Yeah, hi, Frank. You know, I want to tell you, I found something that she said in that interview completely moronic. And it's the same kind of thing that Mayor Adams had been previously trying to espouse by saying it's not the crime, it's the perception. It's the perception of crime. You know, I want to tell you, she didn't say it quite like that, but the point is is that's moronic thinking. To say that the crime rate today is not as bad as it used to be. And that's why it's our perceptions that are really uh, that are really uh, uh, preventing us from riding the subway. That's not accurate because there's the, there's there's a, uh, when our sensibilities are offended by a by a surge in crime, there's the lingering fear and legitimate fear that the bottom could drop out suddenly because we're making negative progress and we could plummet to beyond the crime rate of maybe uh, 50 years ago. That's an accurate perception because if we're making negative progress, the bottom could always fall out. 
Well, that's uh, you know you, you, that's true, Larry. You never want crime to get worse, which is where we are now. Crime's getting worse as compared to where we were three years ago, four years ago, five years ago. You're absolutely right, and that's not the direction uh, that uh, that we want to go. I think the point. Uh, I, I'm not going to defend Eric Adams' statements because I think in the case of Adams, he's really using it as as an excuse. Um, and whereas I think Lenore is really trying to analyze it from a, a much more reasonable, data driven perspective. But I think the point that she's making, and not that she needs me to speak for her, she's you know capable of speaking for herself. I think the point that she's making is that there are you can always be afraid of something, right? And I think the trick is when you go through your day, is what is it reasonable to be afraid of? And her contention, and the data backs are up on this, is that if you let your nine-year-old walk to school even in a city like New York, they're not going to be abducted, okay? the That does not bear that out. Has it happened? Yes. Uh, Eitan Pates, Levy Kletsky, it happened. Um, but the fact that it happens so infrequently that we can remember the names of the children that it happens to shows you that it doesn't happen that often. But uh, I get what you're saying, Larry. I totally get it. You know what I've decided, and I'm going to get back to your calls in a moment, You know what I just finished doing? I finally just finished responding to all the SMS text messages that I've gotten since Christmas. Meaning, and most of them are very nice. uh, Blessings of Christmas, Merry Christmas, hope you, Carmine and Rachel, are well. They're very nice things that I have to respond to. And I came to the realization yesterday that too many people have my number. Because what happens is I spend my whole day responding to these SMS text messages. And I was at my cousin's yesterday, and my wife was with me, and she sees me feverishly answering these SMS text messages. And what happens is as soon as you answer them, the people that you're answering, they text you right back. So it's so difficult to get ahead. And I said, this is just crazy. I said, too many people have my number. My wife said to me, she was sitting next to me, Says I've been telling you that for years. You need to get a new phone. You need to discontinue your phone and um, get a new phone where no one has your number. And uh, sure enough, my cousin-in-law, Joe, he said, that's why no one has my number. And sure enough, I looked in my phone. I don't have his number. Wouldn't know how to get in touch with him if I needed something. So I kind of – I always liked the fact that a lot of people have my number. Now I'm wondering if maybe I've made a mistake here. Uh, I do have an uh, an SMS text message line for listeners as well. This is different than the one that I'm complaining that too many people have access to. That is 8168-MORANO. You can leave a voicemail on there or send an SMS text message. Joe is in Ron Con Coma. Joe, I hope you had a great Christmas. It was decent. I hope you had a great one. Uh, if I don't talk to you, Happy New Year. Thank you. Um, I want to get to one thing before I get to the sure. interview. I want to wish my wife. Today's her uh, birthday. It's her age. A very happy birthday. Oh, it's your wife's uh, birthday today? Yeah, it's my wife's birthday. Correct. Terrific. That's great. Well, we'll wish her a happy birthday as well. Um, um, that interview you just had with that woman, I I was brought up old school, Frank. Uh, my kid, my daughter just started dating this year. And she's 15. And I still think that's too young. As far as my kids going places, uh, my son and daughter just started walking from my house to like the local deli or something, which is about a mile away from our house. 
without any sort of, uh, you know, supervision. And I get nervous. I get nervous. You know, um, I know you would say that would be helicopter parents, but we're not. But I still get nervous because I don't want to take a chance because I don't want – my kids are very precious to me, and I don't want to take a chance of being nonchalant and saying it's not going to happen. And then when it does happen, it, I'll be devastated. So, uh, you know, it, I listened to that lady, and I know she wants – you can let a nine-year-old ride the subway. I'm going to be honest with you, Frank. I would – at my age, 47, I don't want to be on the subway. I, I don't want to go to the city to see Detroit because of all the uh, – Crime. Again, well, look, a very happy new year to you and your listeners, and thanks for another great show, uh, Frank. Th- thanks, Joe. I appreciate that. Uh, happy birthday to your wife as well. Look, I think, and appreciate the call, you know your children better than I do, or Lenore Skenazy, or any stranger does, right? So you should make decisions based on how your own child is developing and what they want to do. You know, they might be 12, 13 years old and not have any desire to do things on their own, right? I think uh, a certain amount of independence is healthy, right? And uh, I think that's borne out. But look, you some children develop at uh, different paces. The if you're worried about your child being abducted, the chances of them being abducted by a stranger are significantly less than getting struck by lightning twice while winning the lotto. Uh, that is not an exaggeration. If you really wanted your child abducted, you would have to leave them alone out on the street, statistically, for about 9,000 years. 9,000 years. Now, you might say, well, well, I see all sorts of statistics about kids being abducted. I see kids being kidnapped all the time. That's right. In almost every one of those cases, that child is abducted by someone that child knows. Many times it's a neighbor or a family member. Uh, So it's not stranger danger that's the problem. And I think that's the kind of the broader point that Little North trying to make. But I'm not here to tell anybody how to raise their kids. Follow your own instinct. Your influence counts, so use it. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. Closing in on 2023. I uh, will not be here on Thursday. I will not be here on Friday. I will be out uh, partying and preparing to party in Atlantic City. It's not as frivolous as it sounds, at least for most of that uh, time, because there is so much work that goes into uh, planning this party that um, really, you know, the whole day and a half leading up to it, it's a great deal of running around and paying for things and picking up things and dropping off things and arranging things and calling people. So um, it's not as if it's going to be a uh, crazy, crazy time, except for the once the New Year's Eve Eve party itself starts on 
Friday. Uh, if you are going to be in New, in uh, Atlantic City on Friday and would like to come to the New Year's Eve party, just email me, frank.morano at wabcradio.com. It is interesting. I The one thing that my wife wanted to make sure that we did this year is the hallmark of the New Year's Eve party is a wine and cheese party at this house that we've rented. And she said, we want to make sure that we have wait staff to, you know, to help clean up so that we're not stuck there cleaning up for two hours after the party. Because it does, you know, with a raucous crowd, it does get a little wild. So I um, did get a referral from a friend of mine who's a restaurant owner in Atlantic City. And I'm waiting to confirm this wait staff. I'm not only eagerly anticipating their response, because obviously this is now integral to the planning, but... It is integral to my wife's mood. She will not be a happy camper if we don't have these uh, this waitstaff confirmed. All right. One of my least favorite things on radio, on television, is when the week between Christmas Eve and New Year's Day, all these TV networks, all these radio stations do the same thing. The 10 biggest stories of 2022. It's the most boring thing in the world. I lived through it. I remember it. Are you really saying that I am so forgetful and, uh, you know, uh, that I don't pay attention to anything, that I have forgotten everything that I just lived through the past year? Yes, that is correct. (laughs) It is uh, so lazy. And they do that because people want to take off. And there's fewer there's fewer people writing news stories. There's just as much news being created today as there was yesterday, as there was the day before that, and the day before that, if not more so. And um, they only do that because it's it's easy. And I have never liked that thing. So a few years ago, I started a tradition of bringing to people's attention news stories they haven't heard. Things that I think are newsworthy that have gotten insignificant attention. So, without further ado, and I'll invite you to call in on this as well. But uh, if you uh, if you have a news story that you feel like was ignored, eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two, a news story that's interesting, that's newsworthy, that affects a lot of people, or is interesting in some way that people didn't hear, and. You know, one of the dangers when I open it up to the Vox Populi is they always try to make it a political thing. Oh, no one heard about Joe Biden lying. Okay. No one heard about Donald Trump lying. Okay. We we get it. We get it. If you're going to call with that, just just assume that we already know that. Okay. But if you really do remember a news story or you encountered a news story this year that you feel was completely ignored by not just the mainstream media, but talk radio and cable news and something that people should know about and they didn't, call in and tell me. 800-848-9222. I have made a list. Much like Santa Claus, I have checked it twice. These are news stories that I'm betting you haven't heard. If you did hear them, I'm betting they were it was kind of a passing mention and not the prominent display of uh, of news like uh, the Kanye West Donald Trump dinner or uh, the Gabby Petito story of uh, Gabby Petito going missing and being murdered by Brian Laundrie. Here's what I've come up with. All right. 
this is uh, there's only one local story because I know where everybody accuses me of always being a little too too much of a homer, always a little too local. But this is important uh, and it's very significant to my brethren in New York State. This year, New York State, for the first time since 1948, had only two candidates on the ballot for governor, and it's not because no one else wanted to run. You had other people that wanted to run. So why were there only two candidates on the ballot? Because this year, thanks to the revenge of Governor Cuomo, Cuomo Zuma's revenge, I call it, New York now has the most restrictive laws in the country when it comes to getting a a third-party gubernatorial or presidential candidate on the ballot. It used to take 15,000 signatures to get a third-party candidate for ballot, uh, a a third-party candidate for governor or president on the ballot in New York State. That's not easy, 15,000 signatures. Tough threshold. Do you know how many signatures it takes now? Now it takes 40,000. 40,000 signatures. In only six weeks, and uh, this has been challenged, rightly so, in the courts. The courts, the district court that ruled on this case might have been on drugs. They might have been benefiting from the recently legalized marijuana that is making the rounds all over the state. Because the rationale, if you read this district court's one-sentence opinion, it's wrong at every level. It's legally wrong, morally wrong, ethically wrong. Wrong at every level. So, um, and it's a story that no one heard about, right? Because it doesn't affect you. And because it takes more than eight seconds to explain. But New York's democracy got a whole lot worse this year because of the difficulty that uh, minor party candidates and independent candidates have in even getting on the ballot. Do you remember when Georgia passed a, a reform to their voting laws? By the way, those reforms did nothing to suppress turnout. Just as many people voted in Georgia as voted two years ago, or almost. And there was no suppression. People were able to vote. Anybody that wanted to vote in Georgia got to vote. This is suppression. This is not right. This is a denial of democracy and a denial of voter choice. And I didn't see Major League Baseball uh, boycotting New York or any of these other entities boycotting New York. And uh, that was a big problem. Speaking of bans and democracy... I am I, look. I'm not going to go on a Ukrainian rant. I'm not. I'm not. I just have to say this: there has been so little coverage of Vladimir Zelensky banning opposition political parties and shutting down opposition media sources, including before the war started. Now, it's fine if you want to say, okay, you know. Drastic times calls for call for drastic measures. Abraham Lincoln locked up newspaper editors during the Civil War. But then don't hold Zelensky out as this champion of democracy when he's acting like an autocrat. I mean, you could feel bad that his country was invaded, but at least tell the viewers that one, there are Nazis fighting with the Ukrainians with the Azov Battalion, and two, that uh, Zelensky is behaving in an incredibly undemocratic way. Here's another story, which is good news, which may explain why it didn't get uh, much attention this year. Cancer death rates, which we can all agree is a bad thing, have fallen substantially in the United States, in Europe, in Canada, in Japan, and Rwanda 
revealed that it is on track to become the first country in the world to eliminate cervical cancer. Now, that's news. Rwanda is going to make history as the first country in the world to eliminate cervical cancer. And you ask yourself, why didn't you hear about that? Could you have benefited from one less Gabby Petito story and one more story about how Rwanda has eliminated cervical cancer? Aren't you interested in that? What did they do? How did they get there? What can we do to emulate what Rwanda's doing in that respect? Did it just work out that way or was it strategic? Those are all part of the news story questions that would emerge had any media outlet told you about this. Here's another one, and it's kind of silly, but it's interesting. All the uh, attention that's paid to the uh, trendy social media um, site of the day, TikTok or uh, whatever else the case may be, Meerkat or Snapchat, there is a very successful app called Count Things. Count Things. Do you know what it does? It counts things. It costs $120 a month. And these that you could look at the templates. The templates page shows the things that people pay to count. There are all sorts of people using this service all over the world to count things. I think this is one of the most fascinating apps in the world. And yet there was almost no coverage of it. This is really interesting. This is the fifth least reported story of the year as far as I'm concerned. Did you know that there is a warehouse in Israel? Okay, that's not that interesting, but listen. There's a warehouse in Israel full of claw machines. Do you remember the segment that we did on claw machines with that guy that came up with the expert way of beating the claw machines? Well, there's not just a warehouse in Israel full of claw machines. You can play the claw machines remotely And if you win, they send you the prize. Now, that's for those of us that like claw machines. That's news. One story that got very little attention this year. Are you familiar? I don't know if they had this when you were in college. But if you have children that are in college or grandchildren that are in college, they're familiar with this. There is a website called Rate My Professor. And basically, this is a website. It's basically Yelp for professors. It gives you an opportunity. You know, I should start this for radio talk show hosts, right? Although maybe I shouldn't, <laughs> given some of the ratings I would hear. But Rate My Professor is a website that lets students grade their professor. And then you go up and type in the professor's name. All right. Professor Frank Morano at uh, St. John's University. He's got bad gradings, uh, bad, bad ratings. I'm not going to take his class. This website has ignited a fierce debate this year on how students should evaluate teachers and how students are grading teachers. It's caused some professors to change the way that they have been teaching, and it cost one professor his job, at least one that we know about. It was one high-profile story. And this story, I think the debate about how students are rating teachers and rating professors That has not gotten nearly enough attention. I think that's one of the most interesting discussions and one of the most interesting debates going on in academia right now. So that's number six. Number seven, I didn't even hear about this. I had to really dig for this one, and I pay pretty close attention to this stuff. 
these undisclosed biolab incidents. Have you heard about this? I'm betting you haven't because this has been just about ignored by everybody. The corporate media has completely ignored the increase in biolab accidents. Recent reports from The Intercept, which is an interesting publication, it's it's left-wing, but uh, they cover a lot of stories that nobody else is covering. Recent reports from The Intercept highlight hundreds, not dozens, hundreds of undisclosed biolab accidents that have gone unreported by any major news outlets. Why? Why? A November 1st, 2022 article titled Bent Over in Pain spotlights a graduate student who in 2016 contracted a debilitating virus, uh, a, a, recomb- uh, a, a really weird mosquito-borne pathogen, which is responsible for uh, epidemics in both the Caribbean and Africa. According to the report in The Intercept, this graduate student was alone in a biosafety lab when her syringe filled with the antibodies from this virus and slipped from the mouse she was testing and pricked her through her gloves. The grad student didn't feel the prick or see an incision site, so she left without reporting the incident. A few days later, she comes down with a fever, body aches, convulsions, and chills. The next day, her skin was covered in blotchy spots. Once the spots became worse, she goes to the ER and was observed and tested by doctors. Her blood results came back positive for this mosquito-borne illness. So according to research done by The Intercept, accidents like these are not at all uncommon in biolabs today. The outlet's investigation, The Intercept's investigation, of more than 5,500 pages of NIH documents reveal a whole range of issues in highly controlled biolabs. It includes malfunctioning equipment, spilled beakers, transgenic rodents running down the hall, a sedated um, uh, creature of some sort coming back to life and biting a researcher hard enough to lacerate her hand. Additionally, most of these incidents listed in these NIH documents involved minor pathogens that could be handled with standard safety equipment, and most of these reported incidents did not lead to infection or illness. However, some of these did. Some of these accidents where scientists were testing animals did result in illness. And as we're evaluating all these epidemics and all these pathogens, don't you think this is newsworthy? That there are all these accidents that they buy in biolabs that the NIH knows about? Why is this not being reported? What does that say about the nature of journalism in the country? I think it's pretty interesting. Um, so that was number... Uh, Number seven. Number eight. You know, we covered the uh, Roger Waters discussion with uh, Michael Smirconish. Did you know that Roger Waters, the uh, the front man for Pink Floyd, another brick in the wall and so forth, has been declared an enemy of Ukraine on Myro Tverit's website? So uh, sure enough, in an article published by Medium, In August, independent journalist Deborah Armstrong reported on the blacklisting of Roger Waters, co-founder of 
the rock band Pink Floyd by the Ukrainian nationalist. After that, Michael Smirkanish interview. A lot of uh, people paid attention to the Smirkanish interview, but not necessarily the blacklisting. One thing that I don't know that anybody really talked about, I think it was maybe, it was not even a one-day story, I feel like it was a one-hour story, is the death of Ken Starr. You remember the former independent counsel during the Whitewater investigation? This guy was one of the most talked-about people in the entire country for two and a half years. I mean, there's no debate about that. This guy played an integral role in American history as part of the impeachment of the first elected president ever to be impeached. And yet he died, and nobody even really seemed to care. I think his death deserved a little bit more ink than it seemed to get. And the other thing uh, that I have to comment on, and then I'll take your calls at 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Um, is Missing Baby Holly. You remember Missing Baby Holly? Well, this year, Missing Baby Holly was found alive after 40 years. After more than 40 years after her parents were murdered, she was found alive. Holly Klaus, who went missing as a baby back in 1981, um... Her parents were murdered in Houston. She was found this year. And you would have thought that at least somebody would have paid attention to that. Got no coverage. I don't understand why. All right, 800-848-9222. What do you think was the biggest news story that no one talked about this year? Let me begin with E. Frank. Hello, E. Frank. Yes, good morning, Frank. Uh, I'm glad that you took my phone call. You probably are going to give me a rebuttal for this uh, uh, outrageous uh, story that I'm going to bring up to you. It's um, why the uh, federal government uh, has never investigated uh, the fact that uh, there are still states that still allow uh, politicians to run beyond the two-term limit uh, um, quota. Usually, you know, you only get two terms uh, in any political office in this country, like the president. But the individuals like uh, our friend and billionaire uh, Michael Bloomberg, who robbed and took a third term. And well, first of all, that happened in 2009, not in 2022. But, E. Frank, so what you think is the biggest news story that nobody has covered this year is that the federal government hasn't investigated why states don't have term limits? New politicians but, coming into the But scene. the federal government doesn't do investigations into state laws. So the state laws can do what they want? Yes, yes, as, as long as it's not um, a violation of uh, the Constitution, uh, meaning you couldn't, um, you couldn't restrict somebody, you couldn't force someone, if they're black, to ride in the back of the bus. You couldn't have a Jim Crow law. Uh, because of the uh, provisions of the Constitution and the Civil Rights Act. But, um, yes, and when it comes to uh, legislative function, when it comes I, – I can't even believe that I need to explain this, but I guess I do. When it comes to how different elected officials are treated, the states have a great deal of latitude in terms of how that goes, right? 800-848-9222. John is in Freehold. John, what's a news story this year that nobody heard about? Hey, Frank. Um, so the, there's deforestation happening in the United States. Mm. 
And um, this year, the most amount of trees were cut down and sold to the EU, the European Union, because they claim that they've gone green and they need to burn wood pellets. So we're cutting down our trees and forests and sending it to Europe. Hey, uh, John, I think that would certainly qualify as a story that did not get a lot of coverage. Uh, thank you for that. I'm going to look into that a little bit further myself. 800-848-9222. Tom in Manhattan, what's a big news story that nobody heard about? One's Hawaii and the other one is leading uh, Ivy League and prestigious colleges in the United States. have They endorse products that supposedly they claim were tested and the results came back in favor of the seller. The, most of them, if not all of them, are bogus. Well, uh, Tom, Tom not. Uh, take me through this again. Uh, I'm a little lost, I think. So re- 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 just take it from the beginning because I'm lost. And if I'm lost, I think the audience might be. Colleges are routinely gone to for them to endorse products because they did independent research. It could be a service, it could be a product, it could be almost anything. And they come back with a favorable report so they can put on their website, we've been endorsed by the University of Hukawaka that this product is safe and the product works and all of that. And it's all BS. Oh. They paid a million. Oh, it's, it's like common knowledge. The people I know are the people who are marketing this. They go around there when they shop for the college and so everything. So if, if I have a soda or something and I want this soda right. endorsed by Harvard, I can go to Harvard, pay Harvard money, and Harvard will say, this is the most delicious, most nutritious soda. I didn't mention Harvard, okay? Well, you, you're intelligent. You can figure this out. Well, give me one example. Give me one example. you got a device that is that will claim to do something for uh, uh, in the dental world, okay? For example, I mean, there's so many of them. I mean, I just, you know, and you go out there and you want to get an endorsement. I mean, look at the websites. Oh, Mary C. Who's Mary C? Oh, says that this is a great product and all that. That's all BS. But the colleges, they're selling their names, endorsing these products. Uh, that's a good one, Tom. Next... I'll look into that a bit further. Thank Here's you. Here's the next one. Here's oh, the next okay, one. one more. Go ahead, yeah. Hawaii has hundreds of buildings, hangar size, humongous. There's no planes in there, but there's rocks in there. What kind of rocks? Rocks that people have sent back that they took from Hawaii that they shouldn't have, according to the old folklore. And they'll go back, and they all got these heart-wrenching stories mm. about the bad things they've been inflicted with. My family was killed in a plane crash. Cancer. I mean, I can go on and on. And they feel like once they send it back, they will reverse the bad luck they've had. I mean, you know, the, 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 the Hawaii says not to leave with anything here that belongs here. Rocks, things you find in the water. And, you know, it's it, they take them because it's theirs. What are they going to do with it? They are, Who knows? Maybe they're going to send it back to where they were. But this is a major, major problem. Well, so they're essentially a Hawaiian curse, more or less. Well, that's what they, yeah, by the Hawaiian gods, you know. Well, that's interesting, Tom. Thank you. Uh, those are both interesting. See, I, don't, I can't speak to the veracity of either of the two things that uh, – 
Tom claimed, but that's what I'm kind of looking for. It's something that makes you scratch your head. I'm going to research both of those further. Those are both interesting. 800-848-9222. Dave's in Dumont. Hello, Dave. Hey, Frank. How's it going? Great. How was your Christmas? Wonderful. Thank you. Good. Hope you have a happy and a healthy New Year. Appreciate it. You too. All right. Thank you. I wanted to make a point that you you made a mistake. You said that Ken Starr uh, impeached Clinton and he was the first sitting president no, to be first, impeached. No, first elected president to be impeached. Well, what about Andrew Johnson? He was never elected. He was. Oh, oh, okay. He was after Abraham Lincoln was assassinated. He was uh, he assumed the presidency. Right. He was never elected to the office of president. Okay, I thought he was elected. Uh, No, he was uh, elected after he was impeached. Uh, He was actually in one of the most remarkable comebacks in political history. Uh, The very same body that almost convicted him, the U.S. Senate, he was actually elected to the U.S. Senate and then had to sit with a lot of the guys that voted to uh, remove him from office. But no, he was uh, he was never elected. He wasn't. See, he was. Look, and history has not been kind to Andrew Johnson, and I'm already going to be labeled as a traitor to America for defending Robert E. Lee, so I'm not about to defend Andrew Johnson. But Andrew Johnson was disliked by everybody because he was a Democrat, and Lincoln um, picked him as his running mate. He wasn't his vice president in the first term. It was Hannibal Hamlin. So Lincoln wanted to bring the country together, so he picked a Democrat as his running mate. And uh, Johnson was disliked by the Democrats for running with Lincoln, and he was disliked by the Republicans because they didn't feel that he was uh, doing right by kind of Lincoln's vision for the Reconstruction era South. But I, I'm glad you uh, I'm glad you brought that up, Dave, because if you thought that, then probably there's some other folks that thought that as well. Thank you, and uh, have a happy New Year. 800-848-9222. Stan is in Brooklyn. Hello, Stan. Good morning. Nobody pays attention to the price of diesel fuel. Diesel has not calmed down. Gasoline has. Everything that we ship gets shipped to us uses diesel fuel. Trucks, uh, trains, ships, and then going to the next step, diesel fuel or basically home heating oil has not gone down. Gasoline has. You mean has not gone – wait, you mean diesel and home heating oil has not gone up, you mean? Has not gone down. It's still high. I see. Okay. Uh, so the and news it used story. To be cheaper than gasoline. The news story is that diesel and home heating oil is still priced high. Yes. Okay. I like that, Stan. That's good. All right. 800-848-9222. Steve in Manhattan. Hello, Steve. What do you got for us? All right, Big Frank. You were just catching me getting something to eat. But, uh, what, were you, what, what are you making? What are you eating? I'm going to have uh, a shake right now. What kind of shake? Uh, chocolate shake and uh, egg sandwich. All right, okay. Breakfast the champion. Yeah. Breakfast the champion. That's it. That's it. I think also you should do like an hour where only the callers with the name Tom can call in. That would be great. Uh, a great you know, that, that is show. actually not the worst suggestion I've heard. Maybe we will do that. Right. And the biggest news story of the year that's not reported, I, I just think the American people don't give a flying, you know what, that their country is going to hell. And the hard left is slamming, uh, you know, a big wrecking ball through the country. People don't care. Just give them their football. Let them bet on those games. As long as there's big snowstorms, people have nowhere else to go, so they put the football games on. And uh, their wives will pretend that they don't like it, even though they're attracted to the players. And uh, I guess that's it. The American people don't care that their country is 
is going to I uh, think he's a great line. Hell in a headband. Yeah, I don't agree, Steve. And um, I hope you had a great Christmas. I feel like that's 80% of what I hear on talk radio and, and cable news. So I don't agree with that at all. I don't think that's an underreported story at all. We'll do one last one, and then we'll get to the $1,000 minute. Greg is in Ohio, the Buckeye State. Hello, Greg. Hi, Frank. I want to know, uh, have you heard about banning EV bicycles at three universities in New York City? Yeah, uh, e- electronic, uh, electric uh, bicycles, you said? Yes, yes. Yeah, I have heard about that, but I think you're right. I think that is probably a story that uh, probably didn't get as enough enough attention for as significant as it uh, as it is. You're right. Those batteries are so dangerous because they're fire hazards. Yeah, that's a fair point, Greg. Thank you. All right, we're going to give somebody an opportunity to win $1,000 in just a moment. If you're the seventh caller to 800-848-9222, that is 800-848-9222. You can take your shot at answering 10 trivia questions in 60 seconds. If you can do that, we're going to send you $1,000. Go ahead and call 800-848-9222. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. This is uh, Georgie Girl. You know, nobody knows that this song was actually from a film. You know what the film was called? Georgie Girl. I don't think anybody has seen the film, at least not since 1966. But And I've seen the film. It was, um, it was a little disturbing, honestly, a little bit for its time. It, it deal, deals with some themes which were not common in black and white cinema in the mid-1960s. But the film I find these days, unless I'm off base on this one, is almost totally forgotten. And yet that song by The Seekers is uh, is played all the time. Uh, that's one of those examples. We did a whole segment one time on, um, on f- songs that were made for films and then the songs became better known than the film. I, I think the the other best example, and I don't want to do a whole thing on this, but is New York, New York. Very few people realize that New York, New York was originally a Liza Minnelli song that she sang for that motion picture. And then there was, um, but so that's neither here nor there. It's still a great song. All right. Without further ado, let us try and give somebody an opportunity to win some money. It is time for... Other Side of Midnight presents It's the Thousand Dollar Minute Answer ten questions correctly in one minute and you could win one thousand dollars Here's your host Frank Morano 
Ah, yes. Thank you, Chris Libertini. Let us say hello to Ron in Stamford. Hello, Ron. Hey, Frank. How are you doing this morning at 4.30 in the morning? I, I am doing just fine. I am doing just fine. Uh, are, you, are you a regular listener to the show there, Ron? Uh, sometimes. Sometimes, depending upon uh, what hour I'm keeping. Okay. Well, fair enough. Uh, what kind of work do you do that you're up at this hour occasionally? Uh, on the uh, weekends, I drive for a livery service, so I just drop some folks off at JFK and uh, going back to Connecticut. Wonderful. Okay. Uh, so have you heard this segment before? Uh, no, I haven't. So okay, great. I'm okay. kind of blind on Great, this. great. You're going to do fine. So um, it's pretty simple. I'm going to ask you 10 trivia questions. The You're going to have 60 seconds to answer these questions. And... Um, as soon as I ask the first question, the timer will start. If you get a question right, we're going to just move on to the next one. So I'm not going to say, hey, that's great. You're right. Let's move on. Uh, we're just going to move on right on to the next question. If you get a question incorrect, we're going to play a wrong buzzer, and then uh, we'll give you a consolation prize. But uh, it's pretty, pretty It's simple enough. The, the trick is, with these questions, not to overthink them. If there's a question that seems easy, it's probably easy. So don't overthink them. Don't get nervous. Uh, just take a second, think, answer, and then we'll move on. Ready to go? Roger that. Let's give it a try. Okay. All right. What is the date of New Year's Eve? December 31st. What former prime minister of Israel has assembled the votes to assume that position again? Benjamin Netanyahu. Who is the oldest living former president? Jimmy Carter. What four-word phrase is printed on all U.S. money? In God we trust. Which popular Christmas beverage is also called milk punch? Eggnog. Name one of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer's parents. Oh... Boy, <laughs> Fred. <laughs> no, come on. Think of all the de- the names of the reindeer. Oh, okay. Um, da- Dancer, Prancer, Vixen, uh, Cupid, Comet. All right. Oh, sorry, we're out of time. Okay. okay. <laughs> His father is uh, is Donner. Uh, in in most okay. in most stories, his father is Donner, and then in some some stories, they um, they say his mother is Mrs. Donner, but his father is Donner. If you've ever seen that, face. all right. Uh, well, you did well, you and you were on a good pace too. You made it up to question six, uh, but uh, you got stuck with Rudolph. That'll be our last Christmas themed question for a while. Ron, I'm going to put you on hold. Give Kenneth your information, and we will uh, send you something nice. Okay. All right, what a pleasure. Thank you, and I hope you have a great New Year. Hey, thank you. You too. Good luck, and uh, whenever you're uh, up uh, working these hours or just find yourself awake, uh, feel free to uh, feel free to give us a call again, okay? Definitely. Thank you very much. Thank you. Appreciate that. All right, uh, 800-848-9222 if you want to comment on anything else we have covered thus far. You know, I got an email yesterday that I found really disturbing. So I, like many broadcasters on radio, am a member of SAG-AFTRA. And, you know, I I like unions. I'm very pro-union, especially private sector unions. And when I signed up to join SAG-AFTRA, I um, signed up to have them 
automatically deducts my union dues. And, and it's not the first year you're in, there's all sort there's more than just union dues. It's like an initiation fee or something. And so I had them sign up, you know, for that. And so um, I, you, you, you set it and forget it, right? It, it comes out of your check. You don't really think about it. And sure enough, I get this email, final remind. this is from a week ago, final reminder, today is your dues deadline. I said, wait a minute, why am I getting this email and why does it have such a threatening tone when the money just gets deducted from my check? And so I get an email back from somebody with SAG-AFTRA, Rosita, and she says, essentially, I received your email below from one of our colleagues from L.A. Your percentage dues are based on your earnings for the year. It seems like what you are paying monthly is not enough to cover percentages dues. And I'm thinking, well, why is that? Why, why is it not enough? And then it says you're currently paying $171.80. You can go online to make your payment or call our cashier department, and she gives the phone number. I said, oh, okay. But then why am I in this position? It still doesn't deal with what I'm dealing with. Um, then I said, is, is there a link to make the payment online? I said, what do I owe at the moment? in addition to what's being deducted from my paycheck. That's what I said. And she writes back to me, Hi, Frank. You joined SAG-AFTRA on a 12-month payment plan. You are no longer under the 12-month plan. No money is taken out of your paycheck. Why isn't any money being taken out of my paycheck? I don't understand it. And this is the, the next sentence is what caused me. There are certain moments that I think to myself, I'm glad I'm not drinking anything because I would spit it out as I as I consume this. Listen to this next sentence. Ready for this? Your current balance with us is $2,067.08. Please visit sagafter.com and create an account if you do not have an account with us. And I'm thinking, whoa, what happened to $171 before? Where did $2,067 come from? How long have they not been deducting money from my SAG-AFTRA? And by the way, I, I hate to uh, uh, you know say this, but you know what I'm getting for these SAG-AFTRA dues? Nothing. I don't even think I get the screeners that my colleagues get of the, all the movies that are coming out. Not that I have time to watch them. I, I don't have $2,000 to give SAG-AFTRA right now. I don't know where they think I'm getting $2,000 from, and I don't want to, you know, be kicked out of the union for non-payment of dues, but this is a really rotten thing to do. So now I have to call these people up, and this is exactly what I need right now is another chore. Um, I have to call these people up and see if I can work out some sort of payment plan with these folks so that they can, again, go back to deducting from my paycheck, which is what I thought I had from the beginning, which all of a sudden they just stopped doing. You know, I don't know if this if stuff like this continues, I may have to start reading my mail because I have a long, a big stack of mail at my house from all any number of sources. And who knows? This may be among it. Some explanation of this. I don't think so, because I would have taken note of this. But uh, I mean, you talk about a kick in the stomach right around Christmas when you're trying to and right around New Year's Eve, Eve, when you're trying to pay for this bill and that bill and this bill. 
all of a sudden, $2,067. I am going to take this up with the president, Fran Drescher. And um, I don't really know Fran Drescher, but I think I did vote for her. So I'm going to write to her on this because that's not a, that's not a nice thing to do. Not a nice thing to do. Hey, you know whose birthday it is today? Bill Goldberg, the pro wrestler and the former football player, I believe, with the Atlanta Falcons. I talked about Goldberg a couple of weeks ago when I had seen that WWE Legends documentary, which is still worth watching. I watched over the weekend another one of these documentaries. I meant to talk about it yesterday. It's all about uh, this episode that I watched was about Lex Luger, the total package in WCW and the NWA, and then he goes to the WWF at the time. He becomes first Narcissus and then the All-American Lex Luger. What a wonderful story and what an educational story. I'm not going to give anything up on this because it really is such a wonderful documentary to watch, whether you're a fan of wrestling or not. And here's a guy... Lex Luger, that was dealing with a number of problems. He was blessed with an incredible physique. As Ric Flair has even said, his physique is probably one of the greatest in the history of wrestling. And he was blessed with this incredible body, this incredible work ethic, and um, developed into a decent wrestler. And like so many people, ends up going down the path of adultery, Drugs, alcohol, and not only did it ruin his career, it played a role in in ruining his whole life. And I don't want to give too much away, but he developed a newfound relationship with Jesus, I think through Sting, the wrestler Sting, who was a friend of his. And he gets him and he describes this physical transformation that Lex Luger undergoes. It's really wild. I mean, it's really interesting. And uh, I I really recommend it. If you're a wrestling fan or if you're somebody that uh, has questions about religion and the role that can play in people's lives, or if you're somebody that has seen, um, you know, has seen Jesus play a transformative role in people's lives, check out this WWE documentary on Lex Luger. It's on the A&E channel. So if you have A&E or the A&E streaming network, it's season two of WWE Legends. It's really interesting. Really interesting. I'm sorry I didn't pick a, uh, a Lex Luger promo to play, but um, it's, uh, it's really well done. I can't say enough good things about it. I, I, think, I think the next episode is about uh, DX that I'm going to watch. So I'm looking forward to seeing that. All right. We're going to do 15 seconds of fame in just a bit. And, uh, but that Goldberg one is still good, too. So if you haven't seen that, check that one out, too. 800-848-9222. Let me remind you that uh, if you want to participate in anything that we're talking about on this show, all you have to do is uh, join the Facebook group. Just search Morano Radio Fans and Haters. That's M-O-R-A-N-O Radio Fans and Haters. And you can um, interact with uh, other listeners and things of that nature. So, that's that. All right. We'll do 15 seconds of fame in just a minute. There are one, two, three, four open lines, 800-848-9222. Say whatever you like for 15 seconds. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. 
a place to hide If the days are long When the sun goes down You might need a place to call your own Somewhere out there on the other side of me You might hear a voice of breezy I don't care what anyone says, this song is terrific uh, this is The Other Side of Midnight by Stevie G and the Constant Contacts. It is available on uh, iTunes for, I believe, 99 cents. Or it might be $1.99. It's a bargain at any price. I'll tell you that. Uh, but uh, we are going, by the way, if you're in the New York area and you have not yet gotten your fill of Moranoism in one hour, and you don't have to be in the New York area, you can listen anywhere you want on WABCRadio.com. In one hour, I will be doing the first hour of the Sid and Friends in the Morning Show. I'm not sure if it's me solo or if it's John Katzmatidis and me together, but uh, it'll be interesting either way. If it's me solo, I'm going to try something that I don't know if anyone has ever done on radio before. I am hoping the newspapers are here. They were not here yesterday. And I'm going to read through the newspapers tell you what the news is, ready for this, give you my opinion on those news stories that I'm telling you about, and then give you the phone number and invite you to comment and give me your opinion. So it's never been tried before. The closest that we've ever seen to something like this is what Regis used to do in those segments on uh, Regis and Kathy Lee. But we're going to see if it works on radio as well as it did in the world of television. Really revolutionary. We are cutting edge on this program. As uh, we do each and every morning on this program, we're going to give you an opportunity to be heard for 15 seconds. 800-848-9222. It's 800-848-9222 as part of... The Other Side of Midnight. This is 15 Seconds of Fame. Mike in New Jersey. Morning, Frank. Congratulations on Carmine's first steps, and as he begins his walk of life, may all his steps be sure and true, and when he stumbles, may they be few and far between. Thank you. That's nice. Hello, John in Freehold. Raji in Manhattan. Over 50% of the Curtis programs are repeats, and he doesn't take calls, and his midday shows are repeated several days. What's going on, Curtis? David in the Bronx. After listening to Christmas music for over a month and a half on terrestrial and internet radio, I didn't hear Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer once. Has it been banned? (laughs) That's a good question. Larry in Brooklyn. The real underrated story is Afghan girls getting blown up for trying to get an education. The Taliban are not Muslims. They're 12th century barbarians, and they all should be wiped out, every one of them. Terry in Bayside. Judith Dunnan, Georgie Girl, and Olivia Newton-John passed a week apart. And Judith and Olivia could sing me to sleep anytime they want. Now, folks, do you want me to do it? If you want me to do it, I'll do it. If not, I won't do it. Go, Buchanan, go. Ray in the Bronx. I went to Walmart to get coffee for my son, and the shelves are empty. But I did notice that East Frank has his own line of melatonin. <laughs> well done. Hello, Steve in Westchester. Ascar in New Jersey. Yeah, um, city and state taxes in New York have to be removed. That would be a good thing. 
All right. Well, we'll uh, on that uh, on that note, we will end it there. Thank you, Ascar. Um, but oh, by the way, a lot of you did write to me wanting to know if I had gotten a ticket yesterday when I had parked on the street. No ticket. No ticket. So uh, thankfully, we uh, we got away with it. We benefited from the fact that it was a holiday and there was no ticket. All right. If you want to stay in touch with me, uh, you can do so via Twitter at Frank Morano. That's Frank M-O-R-A-N-O. That's Frank M-O-R-A-N-O. You could also email me, frank.morano at wabcradio.com, frank.morano at wabcradio.com. You know, I had hoped our president, the president of the Red Apple Audio Network, Chad, great guy, and I'm grateful for my continued employment, but... He and I had had sort of an arrangement where he keeps his office unlocked and I'm able to sleep in there. Now, I go do some snooping around before the show. His office is locked. So I had hoped to take a quick nap. So um, I am going to begin a an odyssey. I'm going to begin a search far and wide of a comfortable spot to nap for a half hour before I begin my rigorous show preparation, which will involve primarily reading the newspaper. I'll see you at 6 a.m., and uh, if you want to stay in touch, please do so via Twitter or via email. Back tomorrow, Larry Elder will be here tomorrow. Bill Burns will be here tomorrow, and I believe maybe even Anthony Weiner will be here tomorrow. A lot to get to. It's going to be an action-packed show. We're covering everything from UFOs to politics tomorrow. And uh, it's a show you're not going to want to miss. If you're not already doing so, subscribe to the podcast. Search The Other Side of Midnight on iTunes. Leave us a five-star review and a nice comment. Help people find us. Frank Moreno, good day.